Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show. I'm joining you here for the Week 20 episode, complete with the power rankings that Devin will be joining me for shortly. Nick will also join me to discuss his bottom-feeding ranking. Um, this will be the final power rankings of the season. We did, as you remember, preseason, Week 5, Week 10, Week 15, and now Week 20. So we will discuss the changes that have happened since the preseason, discuss the, the movers and shakers since last week, uh, the last time we did power rankings as well. Um, we're not going to dissect the matchups one by one, just to go through them really fast so we have this, have them for history's sake. Karen defeated me 119.70 to 113.45. Karen moves to 12-8. and eight. I dropped to 9-11. Uh, Perrier beat Nick in a landslide, 148.45 to 76.75. Nick falls to 7-13, and 13, while Perrier moves to... 11 and 9. Devin loses to Travis, who destroyed him. Travis moved to 14 and 6 after scoring 151.85 points. Devin scored under 100 points for the first time this season, 99.95. He drops to 8 and 12. Jimmy defeated Greg, moved to 10 and 10, scored 117.30 points, and Greg scored 88.45, moved to 7 and 13. And Bazada defeated Alicia to clinch the division title. Moved to 12 and 8, scoring 109.95 points. And Alicia scored 101.95 points herself, moving to 10 and 10. So it looks like every playoff spot is set up. Aside from that sixth and final spot, it'll be down to Alicia and myself, it looks like. So the way the schedule works out, Alicia is going to be playing Jimmy. I'll be playing Perrier. So I need to beat Perrier next week. And Alicia um, needs to lose to Jimmy if, in order for me to get in. So win and she's in. If she loses, all she has to do um, is hope that I lose the Perrier as well. So um, her own destination is in her hands. Um, so she's able to sort of breathe easy and let herself determine her future. But there's still some things to be settled. We have a lot of it settled as far as the playoff teams. It seemed like it wouldn't be settled in, in a lot of ways all, all year. It was jam-packed. We finally have those bottom-tier teams, and I think the power rankings reflect that, as Devin and I will discuss. So this will be our second-to-last podcast before the regular season's over. We'll have a more clear playoff preview next week, moving into the first week of the playoffs after week 21 is over. But there's a lot to discuss. Devin and I get really in the weeds. We do actually discuss some AEW stuff about CM Punk, so stay tuned at the end to listen to that as well. So a lot to come. So please buckle your seatbelts, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy the Commission Wrap-Up Show coming up next. All right, thanks everyone for joining us here on the Commission Wrap-Up Show. We're here, as promised, with the Week 20 Power Rankings, uh, one of the most anticipated episodes uh, that we have, and it's the last edition of the Power Rankings before we move into the playoffs. So uh, Devin's here with me. How are you doing, Devin? I'm doing all right. I'm coming from uh, the outside looking in. Um, I might be doing the same right now. I'm sitting here <laughs> at 9-11, very disappointing loss. I need some help from my brother. Uh, going into next week and it's quite possible I get in the playoffs but the way my team's been playing I really don't think I deserve it we'll, we'll see man it's going to be real close I have a feeling it'll come down to the last uh, couple days in typical dramatic fashion for our league well it seems like the point difference is in my favor against Alicia she has I think 150 less points than I do so if she winds up losing to Jimmy and I wind up beating Perry which is not an easy feat in its own right 
um, I will be making the playoffs, but you know, my destination was in my own hands and I continue to let it slip up. I lost to Karen. I mean, I've lost close matchups all season. Um, and the last few weeks I've definitely haven't shown up and only scoring 111 points. is just disappointing. Like I had it right in my hands. Like there's no reason that Tommy Edmond should beat me. He scored like 20 points this week, but Max Muncy didn't show up. Trey Turner didn't show up. Corbin Burns didn't pitch well. Like my team, they look great on paper, but I'm just not putting it together. And it's so frustrating. I'm sitting here on a Sunday, just like wanting to throw my phone against the wall. I feel you, man. I felt like that a lot of the year, uh, strangely, like I, my playoff hopes were still somewhat alive this week. Um, especially with you and Alicia losing, if I could have taken care of business, I could have a very, you know, a small shot going into the last week, but I'd have a shot. Um, but my team didn't come anywhere close, close midway through the week. And then my team went to sleep and traps just went crazy. Uh, and as far as like guys beating you that you don't expect last week going against Alicia in what was a really important match, Brandon Lau just went bonkers and just watching a guy like that who and he's not a bad player, but he's just not out of all the players she has on her team. Like that's not the one I expected to uh, have to deal with like that. And he's the guy that wants to beat you. It's so disappointing. And um, I feel like you and I have had pretty bad luck this year. Jimmy's had some bad luck. And for the first time ever, we might have a team that wins the point title not make the playoffs. I mean, I'm not sure if Jimmy officially clinched. I think he did, but it's still sort of blurry as far as what has to happen. But I would say he did clinch with the win, but I, it got kind of sketchy there for a second. Yeah, I think with, what he has on his side is the points, because even if he loses next week and, you know, like you and Alicia uh, both win, I still don't think he ends up missing unless something absolutely crazy happens. But I mean, he deserves to be in there. You know, he, if he would have missed the playoffs. It sort of would, it would be an indictment of our system. And, like, I think having the point champion not make the playoffs would be almost reason to sort of readjust how we do things because that's not how you want things to happen. We don't want the best teams to miss the playoffs and be that dependent on luck. And that seems like this year – and I know it, this is the first year out of 10 years we've been in this league that it really has come down to the wire for that type of team. But having teams at the t- – top of the standings that don't have the most points it's frustrating to watch because like a team i have the second most points right now and i'm probably going to miss the playoffs and it's it's annoying and you know i I know my team can be better and they haven't performed in spots and i've run into some teams that are buzzsaws and i understand that's all part of the game but it doesn't make it any less uh hard to deal with so but you know what i'm happy that jimmy's gonna make the playoffs i also i'm happy you know, Travis is making a statement right now because for a while there, and I, I, you know, it's sort of my gimmick now to make fun of him on the podcast and get on him. Um, this was a huge statement week for him to come out there and score. I think he finished with like 150 points. He, um, he really showed up, and I think his team is getting hot at the right time. And he really has a real shot at winning yeah, that's what it's championship. All, that's what it's all, all about, too, is just getting hot at the right time. Like, he's been sitting up there at number one for a long, long time. Um, and if he can – Combine the buy with getting hot at the right time. I mean, that's that's the best thing you could ask for right now. Yeah, I think the craziest part about Travis's season is that while everyone sort of endured a significant slump of some some point, he had one of those slumps but didn't lose. It was like he was winning these these matchups and only scoring a minimum amount of points. So his record was sort of inflated with the fact that he was playing teams on their worst week. But there's no doubt that his team right now is performing up to what would be in, you know, indicative of a number one seed. So I am impressed with what he did this week. So Travis, I am giving you a compliment and I will continue to give you compliments throughout this podcast. I'm sure I will rip on you a little bit, but I think at this point, 
um, you've made a statement and you sort of shut me up. So um, good job. But uh, you, you ready to move on to the power rankings? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So as everybody knows, I appreciate everyone sending me the, the list of your power rankings. Um, everyone was really good about it. I just had to text a few people. I think I got the last one today from somebody. But uh, after com combining the numbers and coming up with the, the grid of where everyone's ranked, it was um, definitely as expected. I would say you would agree with that, right? As expected, you would say those, yeah. those list was? No surprises? Yeah, no huge surprises. No, no yeah, nothing really uh, jumped out. Um, it was interesting to see sort of the um, universal nature of some of the teams that were ranked. Uh, very similar rankings. And as the, as we moved closer to the playoffs, we did have a separation of who were the cream of the crop and who was sort of the bottom feeder teams. And it took a while to get there. And as you see from week one, five, 10, 15, and 20, uh, things have changed. And you, you and I will go through the preseason power rankings and sort of touch upon what we sort of predicted uh, beginning of the season. And I might add predicted in a wrong, wrongly uh, <laughs> some of the power rankings and what teams we thought would be uh, at the top of the standings come the end of the season. And, you know, you can almost flip it upside down. So with it further, without further ado, let's get into it. Number 10, and I'll start with them. At to a total of 81 points. So out of nine teams that ranked them, they all ranked them last. Uh, average rank was nine. Highest rank was nine. Lowest rank was nine with no movement in the standings since week 15. That is Nick, the bread man. Um, Nick Cambria sort of was making some noise at the end of the year playing spoiler, but he really showed his uh, true colors this week and only put up a minuscule, I think 80 points. So not the best show from, he's actually in the waiting room, Devin. So I'm going to let him in quick to kind of comment on the fact that he's sitting here. So I'm going to sure, let him yeah. in quick. All right, Nick, do you hear us? You're here on the commission wrap up show. We're talking about the power rankings. We actually just went through your team and talked about how you are number 10. Universally, no one ranked you higher than that. Are you there, Nick? Yo. Um, so I'm not sure if you just heard what I said. We were going through the power rankings, and number 10 uh -huh. was you, ranked yeah. lowest, and universally was ranked lowest. You got the literally the most possible points you can get. Yeah, um, again. I was just talking a little bit about how you were playing spoiler a few weeks ago, and then this season, is, I mean, this week, it seemed like the bottom fell out. You have any comments on that? Dude, I don't – it was just an ugly, ugly week for me. I don't know what the hell went on. Um, who did I – I lost Tristan McKenzie, so I didn't get to have him pitch. Um, not that he would have been a difference maker. Um, Perrier scored so many points on me. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, so much for spoil maker. And now um, next week I play Bazada, and I think he's locked in, if I remember correctly, looking at – the stats, seems like so. he clinched the division, yeah. So he doesn't have a lot to play for, but I know he wants to get his team fine-tuned and ready for the playoffs. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, it'd be cool to, like, knock him down a spot. I don't know. I think Perrier would need to win, and Alicia uh, – no, just Perrier, I think, can hold him out So and take the top. But, so, I mean, maybe I can spoil him getting a bye week the first round of the playoffs, so I guess that's the goal. But other than that, I don't really know, man. It was a bad week. Yeah, the angle that Devin and I are taking for the teams of the bottom feeders, we want to discuss potential keepers and how we view as far as the future looks for your team. You don't yeah. have to reveal who you're keeping yet. Obviously, it's not due to the end of the World Series. Um, mm -hmm. But I do have a list, and I know, Devin, you probably have a list as far as who do you think Nick will be keeping. Um, and from my perspective, you mentioned Tristan McKenzie as your pitcher. 
Um, yeah. I look at him as a potential keeper for you at round 24. He'd uh-huh. be a first-time keeper. Um, he sort of is on the track from where Devin had him as an NA. And I think yeah. he kind of fits the mold of what you need as a pitcher. Devin, is that the same person you have as, as well? It's actually not. Um, I, I had that in mind. I even put a little note at the bottom that it could consider McKenzie, even Taiwan Walker. I know Nick mentioned him earlier in the year, and then obviously he's fallen off a little bit. I have him uh, keeping Scooble as the pitcher, but obviously mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a that's a choice between Scooble and McKenzie in my mind that he would have yeah. to make two, two young guys, um, you know, both in the same division. Great stuff. So that's who I had. Well, it's a mix yeah, of both. Those are my two both thoughts. Of us, Devin, like, yeah, the, the both of us sort of given up on both those guys. I gave up on Scooble. He was my one of my keepers. You gave up on McKenzie, and you gave him enough time to be patient with them. It's just like you need the roster space, and I felt yeah. the same way with Scooble. But looking at yeah. Scooble's last few outings, he's been out there, and he's been doing his thing for a bit. And the biggest sort of, I guess, compliment I can give Scooble is he's striking out guys at a rate that everyone predicted him. He struck out 10 in his last time out in the 25th against the, the Cardinals. So if he's striking out guys at a clip of double digits, that's a guy you might want to target as a keeper. No, absolutely. And it's hard too, because like when you read up on the Tristan McKenzie stuff, the last two outings, you know, he was perfect through seven and then went like seven scoreless. Those were against like pretty bad teams. So I don't know that he's like truly the real deal yet. So Scooble is still up there. You know, I, I don't know exactly what to do with the two of them yet. I'm leaning towards Tristan McKenzie, but you know, the Tigers, like I kind of mentioned, and like that um, Greg mentioned at one point, you know, the Tigers are somebody to start getting ready to watch maybe. So I agree with that. And I know that the, the lineup has been playing They're They're sort of expediting the, the rebuilding process. So, and the Indians seem like, or the Cleveland guardians, however you want to uh, label them, they are finding a way to um, get worse. And it seems like the town is sort of, and it doesn't seem like anyone really is on the way. Um, right. They're kind of stuck with the talent that's on the major league roster. Um, right, as for position back. player for you, I targeted Nick, Nick Castellanos for you at round four. Um, yeah. I was unsure. This is the most unsure I was as far as position player. Devin, who did you have as his position player? I had Castellanos as well. My thought was just like consistency. Like you kind of know what you're getting from the guy. Um, yeah. I will say the one thing about him that's interesting is he has an opt-out at the end of the year. So you hope he's back in the Reds offense because that's a great offense to be in. But, I mean, there could be a – you never know what the Reds – like, are the Reds this super aggressive organization? Not really. They usually just let people go. So, um, right. the, the hope would be they hold on to him. I think if he's on the Reds, that's definitely the guy I would keep in your position. If he goes somewhere else, I don't know. I know we've also thought about moving the keeper deadline back, which obviously could affect that decision as well. Yeah. yeah. And Cassianos, too, is one of those guys that withstood the firestorm of trades you made. So, it's almost like – Right. You, you kind of let him stay. And it's almost I, I thought you were keeping him because he was one guy that was off limits and trade talks with you. And I know that was like everyone was on sale for you. But Nick Cassiano seemed like he was a guy that's been your guy all year, sort of made you fall in love with it, your team in the first place. And I think it's yeah. a nice piece to build around. Yeah. And that's the thing, like like you, the best words there were the nice piece to build around. You know, I talked to Perry weeks ago and I was like, Nick Castellanos was like the first big thing for me in fantasy baseball, dude. Like he was the first one to all of a sudden like climb the ladder. He was top 10 for a long time. He was top 20. I think now he's top 40 ranked. Like it was cool that somebody that like, I didn't know very well, but scouted out pretty well ended up coming around and, you know, being big for my team early on. So, cause Castellanos, he was a part of the couple of those deals. Like I asked Jimmy, I was like, Oh, like when we were making a deal with Eloy and everything, I was like, you know, I can do Castellanos. Like I'd have to cut something else out. 
And he brought up JD Martinez. And I was like, Oh, like, yeah, I can do away with JD for the deal that we were supposed to make, but um, which didn't work out. And then even with Perrier, I was kind of like, I'd like to work Castellanos if you really want. I was like, you've got to give me something bigger. And that's when he was like, what about JD Martinez? And that's when I worked Rice Hopkins into the deal to kind of trade off the bat. So um, the one thing I would look at for Castellanos is just to think to yourself, will he go before the fourth round? And exactly. I think he will. So I think you're getting value in that spot. I really think you're getting value in that spot. Next exactly. year, maybe yeah. not. If you keep him as a first round keeper, I don't think you're going to get that right. value. And you may have to make the tough decision next year to let him go back into the, into the, the field of free agents. But mm-hmm. I think right now as a round four keeper, you're not going to get much more value than you're going to get from him close to Absolutely. 40 home runs. I mean, what do you finish with this year? 31 home runs right now he has. So yeah, that's a guy yeah. that you can really rely on. As far no, as exactly. your under five-year keeper, I have Luis Robert, uh, round eight. Um, depending on his service time, he's definitely under five years. Um, I think he'll be – he's not quite under the two-year mark, but right. he for sure is your my under five for you. And then Cabrian Hayes, you acquired him from Devin, who's here on the mm-hmm. podcast with us, round 13. Um, I think that's a no-brainer. And then as for your NA guys, I have Sixto, no-brainer, Spencer Torkelson, Adley Rushman. And then you have the choice between Videl Bruhan and then the other guy who's on there. But I think Bruhan's more of the um, the better option. Devin, as far as your guys, you have similar under five and under two? Yeah, I had the same two. The only one I am – the one I'm most uncertain about is Kibrian Hayes just because he hasn't really shown what I, I, I think a lot of us thought he was going to show. On one side, on his – Unlike to take a defense for him, uh, the Pirates don't have anybody around him. So, like, you, can, you can't criticize the kid too much. He also had the injury to begin the season with the wrist, which is tough to, to hit with. You're kind of always thinking about it. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, I guess Nick can tell us if he's uh, 100% sure about Cabrian Hayes in the under two or if he's questioning, questioning things with that. No, Cabrian Hayes is definitely my guy. I've loved watching him, you know, when the Pirates are, you know, being the Pirates. And like you said, there's nobody really to surround him. But, I mean, I love watching him in the field. He's so good there at third base. Um, His at-bats are starting to come around. He moved up in the lineup. Like, I think he's been averaging batting second now, and he looks pretty comfortable in there. So, you know, you never know if he keeps hitting and getting some more power shots in there. Eventually, I think he'll bat third, and I think that'll be really big for my team in the future as well. So, Okay. Yeah, I mean, it makes makes sense. I, I love the guy too. I guess my only thought was if for some reason you soured on him, you could go with uh, Scoobal and McKenzie because then you could use right. the under two for, I guess, McKenzie um, right. to keep him as well. But yeah. Yeah. So no, Nick, um, before we let you go, so yeah. this is you're moving into week 21, the last week of the regular season of your first season here in For the Fame. Any mm-hmm. closing thoughts of? how it went, what you would change and what you're looking forward to next year? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, draft experience was huge where I drafted certain positions late, you know, Castellanos being fourth is huge for me since, you know, early on, I have to change up what I was going with. So I think that's really big. I'm really excited for next year's draft and hopefully make a bigger splash than last year's. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, that's really all I got. Um, my big thing is, uh, jokingly not jokingly because i forgot that devin has ronald acuna jr i was going to say devin when it's you and me in the final in the consolation bracket who are you taking first but i forgot you uh, you have your first <laughs> pick <laughs> yeah well, well you no better, I mean, you better start getting the points racked up right now if you're gonna if you're gonna make some noise in the consolation bracket 78 points is not gonna cut it there <laughs> i know i know well it's funny the three teams that are out of it now me nick and greg i think we all finished with under 100 this uh this week it was just kind of like yeah. an exclamation point like 
the three teams that stand out, like with a certain number, they're just all done. So we kind of went out in style, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that I think it'll keep the constellation bracket really exciting for the four of us, you know, depending on who comes in fourth, whether it's Steve or not. And Nick, so as far as you know, I'm I'm going to be looking at different teams and their drafts for the when we have the official six playoff teams. I'm going to go mm-hmm. through their drafts and compare with their final rosters right now. We will not be doing that for your team, but now I pulled up your draft and it's in a word shocking <laughs> looking at the yeah, know. of your whole roster. Yeah. So if you if you ever get the chance, man, just go through and look at the changes. I mean, look, Ronald Acuna Jr. no longer there. DJ LeMayu no longer there. Jose Abreu no longer there. Nick Cassianos, we talked about him. Clayton Kershaw no longer there. Matt Chapman gone. JD Martinez gone. Luis yeah. Robert, you have Keiko <laughs> on waivers. Like your dra- I feel like you piece it together at the end of the draft. I mean, you got some really good value in Taiwan Walker, Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Adamas, who is having a sneaky good year, he he wound up being um, jettisoned from your team as well in a trade. But mm-hmm. you have, I mean, some talent that you found there. Um, but if you would have just kind of pieced it together better as far as the draft went, I think yeah. you kind of nailed it in the, nailed it from the start when you started talking about your team and what should change. Now that you have an, like sort of a grasp on the scoring and figuring out how things kind of work and what you need, I think you're going to come in with a, a, like a plethora of experience to make your team so much better. And I, I have the utmost confidence that you're going to be very competitive next year, because looking at your draft, you, you were starting from behind. Yeah. I mean, you were starting from a point of like your first pitcher drafted was um, Dallas Keuchel. I mean, it's Kershaw as well kept, but Dallas Keuchel. Right, yeah. And knowing what we know about Dallas Keuchel, I mean, that's your number two. Like you were, you were already behind the eight ball and the fact that you have seven wins um, right. starting there is um, sort of a testament to how you're able to manage your team. So I think you did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm uh, like I said, I'm very much looking forward to the draft and, you know, making a bigger splash, at least in that. And, um, yeah, like you said, you know, the experience is everything. And, you know, I'm hoping that next year, you know, I hope one year of experience makes all the difference for me and changes it up a lot. So, dude, it's hard. Like you can't go in like you could look at the scoring all you want, but until you apply it and every day setting your lineup, looking how everything sort of mashes out and knowing what you need. And it's hard for anybody to kind of go in blind. And that's what you did. And you, you took over a team that um, he was competitive every year, but he was sort of a anonymous manager. If you want to trade with him, he was not going to answer you. He wasn't in the chat. I had to hunt him down. He never came to the draft. So just had just the X factor, what you bring socially to the league, um, that can't even be quantified in words. So I do appreciate everything you brought to the league this year. And you've been an amazing addition. And thanks to you, it's it's been the best season yet. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me again. Like I always say, man, it's a, it's a great experience, great people, and hope to be around for a long time, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on for a little bit. Um, we're going to move on to number nine, but Nick, thank you so much for being on here. And then obviously you're welcome anytime we do the podcast. You can come on next week if you want as well. Yep, we'll do, man. You guys have a good night, all right? You too, Nick. Take care, man. Later. All right, Devin. So moving to number nine, I'll let you kind of take the honors of that. And um, who do we have here at number nine? All right, so coming in at number nine, uh, strangely enough, looking at the first power rankings of the year, this was originally the number one on the preseason power rankings, and that is Greg. So big fall from grace here. Obviously, some things just did not go his way. Um, when I look at his team, it's just like he might be the manager that deser- deserves the least amount of blame 
for the lack of success he had this year. Like not to be easy on him or anything, but you look at it and you and you think about Bellinger, like what you think you're getting with Cody Bellinger and then what you actually got. Um, now, what I will say with him is what he's done to his roster at the end of the season is pretty amazing. Like he, it, it's a decent squad, like a nice mix of youth um, with solid veterans. And I think we're going to talk about keepers. I think he might end up having the best set of keepers going into next year. Like he could go a few different ways, but I really do think he might have the best uh, set of keepers out of all 10 teams next year. With that being said, before we get to that, as far as like where things went wrong, I mean, I already mentioned Bellinger. Um, I think he just found some of his gems that he usually finds, but maybe just a little bit too late. Like the Jonathan India ad. He's obviously been fantastic. He's kind of taken off since Greg uh, picked him up. Um, you know, Austin Riley as well, who I know was on my team, a couple other teams. I could tell Marte was injured for a lot of the season, so you could say that went wrong as well. Stand in and out. He's gotten hot recently. Uh, Willie Adamas, obviously, if he had been on the Brewers all year, I know he wasn't on Greg's team all year, but uh, that was a, could be a difference maker as well. So the offense, I look at it, I know we've said for the whole year, like, oh, like Greg's team is eventually going to be fine. Let's look at that offense. Uh, obviously, I think the other thing that went wrong is the pitching injuries, Bieber and Glass. Now, like that's that's pretty obvious. So again, not necessarily his fault. I don't think it was anything with management or anything like that. He just got too many big injuries, um, and then you can't have a guy like Cody Bellinger that is supposed to be in your lineup every day just not perform even like fifty percent of what he's supposed to do. Completely agree with you. You mentioned it. And I think the biggest sort of thing that went wrong for him was Glass now and Bieber. Without a doubt, Bieber never really got off the ground. I think he pitched probably a little bit of April and the start of May. And then he's been out since then. And then when Glass now went down and going to get Tommy John surgery, when all this sticky stuff started happening, that's when Greg's team started falling apart. But like you said, I think he, I liked what he did at the trade deadline. Um, I liked the mix of young talent and veteran talent. And I think looking at his keepers, you know, you get the value of Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, we can talk all day about the Turner and the Tatis deal and the value of each player this year. But what's what puts Greg over the top of him winning that deal is the fact that Tatis will be around seven keeper next year based off of him being tiered and all that. And without a doubt, Tatis would be a first overall. I mean, he'd go in the first three picks if he was out there. So Greg wins that deal because Turner himself would be going in the second round. And uh, the fact that he has Tatis there, and then he can still keep Shane Bieber in round 10. And then you look at now his NAs, he was able to acquire Bobby Witt Jr. He has Riley Green, Shane Baz, and then Kay Cavalli, he was just called up by the, the Nationals for a cup of coffee. I'm not sure if he was sent down again. But um, as far as pitcher and position player, I really was drawing a blank. And I don't know looking at his roster, who he would decide to keep and going scrolling through them. I mean, you look at Freddie Freeman, he's the obvious one. I mean, you have your first overall pick stuck there. He is guaranteed to give you uh, consistency at the very least and be able to give you top five production right now. He's three overall. He has a chance to finish number one overall. He's one of the best players in baseball, does it quietly in Atlanta. And as far as the pitcher goes, it's really hard to hard to pick. Like, is he going to go with maybe keeping Marco Gonzalez or like a Carlos Carrasco or like, there's really no, 
piece there that would be a, a, a nice piece unless he keeps Bieber there and goes a different different route under five, maybe keep India. So there's all sorts of options. I'm not sure what you had penciled out for him. So this is what I had. He has, he has so much flexibility. He could go a million different ways. But when I look at it, I really think this is what he's going to do. I was tempted to put Freddie Freeman in the position player as well, because like you said, maybe the most reliable guy, like, you know, he's going to play every day. He's, he's never seems to be out for a very long time. And when he is out, he comes right back and just goes right back into it. I said recently, I've never seen a guy that was hitting like 210 or 220 get up to 300 so quickly. But what I went with because he made the trade for trout so i don't see i don't see that trade being made and you not keeping that player now obviously forgot about that completely forgot about that yeah but but it's hard not to because he's he hasn't played now i will say if trout doesn't come back at all here which he very well may not if the keeper deadline stays at the end of the world series greg may be too scared to to rely on that he might want to see him first at least in spring training which now, if the deadline is moved closer to the season, maybe that gives him the opportunity to make sure he's okay. I don't know. But I, as of now, I have him penciled in for Greg's position player. Although Freddie Freeman, man, it's not easy letting that go. Guy, that guy go. I just think most people think, oh, I'll be able to find a first baseman. Um, now, I can say from experience, it's not as, not as easy. My, my whole thing was take a first baseman late this year. And I ended up with Rizzo, who's been mediocre. And I put LeMahieu in there sometimes, who's been – insanely disappointing anyway so i'm going with trout i am going with bieber for the pitcher na is obviously the four you mentioned are great and all four of those guys may contribute significantly at the major league level next year uh under five is where i put tatis and then um it's just insane that he's going to get tatis where he is next year and you mentioned bieber whatever round he is that's insane value as well i think i think jonathan india will be his under two the guy has just been unreal He's a fantastic hitter. He's in a great lineup to, and a great stadium to hit home runs. Just do everything. Score tons of runs with all those guys behind you. I think India ends up being kept. I know there's other ways he could go with those, but that that's who I have. And I'm telling you, when I look at that, I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, we could have the same conversation, rewind the tape last year. You were so set up NAs. The one thing we do know about non-active players is that we don't know anything. They could be completely a flash in the pan or they don't contribute at the major league level. Or, you know, we can have a conversation about why that between 2020 and 2021, they were unable to make the jump. And you talk about the fact that they didn't have AAA last year and that the difference between minor league baseball and major league baseball is the largest gap that it's been ever in history because of the fact that they didn't play last year. Whatever it is, um, I think that gap will be shortened because of the fact that they did play a full uh, minor league season this year. But I'm also looking at a guy like Jesse Winker, and if he's not kept, where does he go in the draft? I know he has the hearts of many in our in our league. He sort of fizzled out at the end of this season due to injuries and sort of got cold. He's still ranked, you know, 27th overall in points. He has not played since looks like August August 16th, so he's missed almost the full month of August. And you know that's that was my guy originally. If you would have asked me probably six weeks ago, I would have said Jesse Winker undoubtedly would be kept by Greg, but with India coming on strong, ironically in the same lineup, I think you have to go with India, especially that he's a waiver wire find. I picked him up at the beginning of the year because he was so hot in spring training and, you know, you couldn't hold on to him because he just wasn't good until probably mid July. He started catching on and playing full time in Cincinnati. 
but he's been really good. And I think it's sort of like, like you said, Greg has the flexibility to make something special happen with his team and start off fresh and be able to draft well around that team. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have, it's just a nice, even take the NAs out because you're right. Even though they're high NAs, we don't know what they'll do next year. Even if they're great in the long term. Jared Glennick can show you, like, you don't know if they're going to be great in their first year. They could be terrible. Um, but just even take those guys out, Trout, Beaver, Tatis, India. I like Winker, too. I just don't know where you keep him because he doesn't fit in the under two. You could keep him in the under five, but then you have to move Tatis elsewhere. And if you move Tatis into the regular position player, then you can't keep Trout. So I don't see a way he can kind of get his head around keeping Winker and then kind of losing some of those other guys. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> he he's got plenty to choose from that's for sure the one thing that greg has earned is the the benefit of the doubt that we know that this season sort of was the outlier he's never had a season that he's finished below 500 he's always found a way to either win a championship get to the championship be competitive find those gems on the waiver wire and i think he did live up to his name this year it just was like you mentioned before not being able to overcome the injuries and it's not his fault. None of what happened this year, like you said, was not his fault had nothing to do with his management skills. If anything, another, maybe another manager in his spot would have been in much worse shape at this point and their team would have fell off the rails, but he was able to piece it together and find really nice pieces and be competitive all throughout the year. I mean, he brought me to the wire again last week and almost beat me. So he would have been in competitive uh, in a competitive spot to maybe clinch a playoff spot with some luck going his way. So it, it wasn't out of the picture. Uh, for him until this week, really. No, he never was. He's never easy to go against. I know for sure the last two times I faced him, he beat me in very close matchups that end up really changing my season. One of them was the oldest Chapman one where Chapman blew like four saves in a week. So like that, that sticks out in my memory. Like I just could not get past Greg. And I, I think I have like a mental block against beating him because he beat me in a final as well couple of years ago I, I don't think i ever beat him ever so yeah he'll be back and he might be an early favorite for uh 2022 champion <laughs> i really think so as well I, it's shocking to see him sitting here five games under well it's going to be six games under 500 it's just not where you, you're used to seeing him and i think uh despite his best efforts it's hard to overcome losing two of your best pitchers i mean even tatis missed a, missed a significant amount of time and you know obviously you want to keep him with the value there but there is going to be that question about what happens with the shoulder until he gets that surgery. And I mean, you, you take the risk with him because he's that good when he's on, on the field, but you know, that those are some question marks you have. Um, but I do like the fact he was able to acquire Bobby Witt Jr. He, and I know you're not the biggest guy on Bobby Witt. I know you were sort of critical of maybe us ranking him as high as he is, but I think the flexibility of positions is what makes him so valuable in our league. He looks like he's going to be with Merrifield on steroids. That's what, that's the way I picture him. Yeah, I guess I'll wait and see. I, yeah, I, I think highly of Bobby Wood. I just think a lot of times on the podcast, I've heard the, the comparison, like, oh, the next Fernando Tatis. I don't see that. Like, I, I don't see that. I just, I don't know. When I think of Fernando Tatis, I think of a kind of a one-of-a-kind guy. Um, Bobby Wood could be very, very good and still not be the same kind of guy as like a Fernando Tatis. But I haven't seen enough of him. I just see kind of highlights on Instagram every once in a while. So we'll see. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more of him next year. Maybe it's the fact we've just been spoiled that every year that someone pops up is like the next generational player with Tatis and Soto um, and Acuna, like all these guys coming out of the woodwork, even go as far as back as 2012 when Trout came up. It seems like we're the, like the miners and the scouting systems are creating these 
and they're finding these gems of players that are just all-time greats. I mean, that's the, that's the stratosphere that some of these players are putting themselves in with these numbers. I mean, Juan Soto is matching Ted Williams-esque batting numbers, and that's not even hyperbole. He's doing it. And Tatis, the way he's playing, he does it with a flair that we haven't seen since Griffey, and he's putting up numbers for a shortstop we haven't seen since A-Rod. And it's like, you know, for me, if Bobby Wood is as high-ranked as he is and as high-touted and he has all the tools that scouts have seen in guys like Tatis, that's why I'm giving him the benefit of – I mean, I think Tat, I think Wood is going to be as good as, as a guy like Tatis. I really do. And I think maybe he won't do it as much flair, but um, I think he's going to be really, really good. Same thing with Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, as long as he's given the opportunity to play. And that's the exciting part about baseball. If they're able to market their stars, they got a lot of young talent on the way. Yes, I will say the, the talent we're getting up here and that's coming. And and they are doing a little better job introducing these young guys earlier. Um, baseball's headed in a, in a good direction for sure. Yeah, the, the only thing they got to do is come up with an agreement before next year and not lock it out because if they do, that's so detrimental to the sport. But that's a separate podcast for a separate time that you and I can rip on Manford and, and talk about all those things. Because if they let that happen, shame on the players union, shame on the ownership, because they're just letting the cash cows die. Really. They're letting the cash cow die out in the field. Cause the money is printing itself right now with these young players, especially with the talent that look at the attendance. It's up for almost every ballpark. People are desperate to get out of their house and go to games. Yeah. If that happens, if there's a lockout, I think our league needs to, uh, stage some kind of protest in front of the commissioner's <laughs> office <laughs> I, I would be completely down we might be as we might be as uh, famous as barstool when they did everything with roger goodell but um yeah. <laughs> let's move on to number eight so number eight is 66 total points 7.3 average rank uh seventh was the highest ranked, and ninth was the lowest ranked, and that's you Devin. so there's a large gap between seven and eight about 20 points actually exactly 20 points between them so there was a defined line of um, just the bottom feeder teams. And to me, two of the three are shocking. So if you look at the original preseason rankings, weirdly enough, you and Greg were ranked one and two. And who would have thought we're sitting here 20 weeks later that both of you are sitting in the bottom tier um, and mess with a team like Nick, who was getting his feet under him and sort of going through growing pains. You and Greg have been the class of the league since, you know, the beginning, really. I mean, Greg, had a hiatus but you've been competitive every year you've been in the playoffs consistently you won a championship you've been to two you've been nothing but the standard of a manager and this year sort of similar to greg has gone in the wrong direction for you not so much more with injuries but because of bad luck i really looked at your team as a team that was going well and i think you went with acuna and once acuna went down i think the wheels fell off i think that really was sort of the final blow to a team that was um really built around two guys, Acuna, Springer, and then your pitching sort of tuckered out as well with Flaherty getting hurt. He couldn't pick it up. And then Giolito never really got off the ground. Like Giolito not being himself was an early blow to you, but losing Acuna, losing Springer for the beginning of the year, he's back in the aisle again. And then losing Flaherty from May until now, and now he's back in the aisle. It just wasn't to be this year for you. Yeah. I'll say the storylines for my team, I feel like kept on changing. Like, uh, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, like coming in with a bunch of the young, like kind of stud keeper, like NA guys that I thought were going to contribute, like Sixto and Tristan McKenzie and Kalenic and on and on and on that, you know, never really. Oh, Nate Pearson, who I think has fallen off the face of the earth. Um, 
you know, mixed with story and then Flattery and, and Giolito. I, I felt really good about that. I think everyone looking at it felt like, oh, that's going to be a good start. And basically every single one of them went bad. Like it just went sour. Trevor Story, who has been, you know, a staple of my team now for a long time. He hasn't been a terrible player, but he's been extremely inconsistent. And even when he's going good, it's just like, I feel like last year and the year before that, I love the guy because, you know, he'd mix in a home run, a couple stolen bases, then a bunch of doubles a few days in a row. Like he never, he never seemed to do nothing. And this year there's been plenty of times, like he had a double header last week. And he, I think the stat was like, Oh, for eight with two K's. And then the next day he left the game early. It's like, I, I don't know what's going on with that guy. Uh, he will not be kept this year. I think that's obvious to say. Um, so it'll be a little bit of a new era for my team. But even aside from that, the young guys didn't work out. Obviously, we made the Acuna deal earlier in the year, early in the year, and he'll be a guy that I go forward with for a while, most likely. Um, but even before the big injury with Acuna, you, you might remember there was like three little tiny injuries, and he was kept on being like in the lineup, out of the lineup, like, and you were kind of worrying that the big injury was coming. It was just strange. Like I know it's kind of a freak play, but I just I felt the whole thing coming. Uh, hopefully he's fine. Uh, he might even miss a little bit of the beginning of next year. I'm not really sure of the timeline. But um, I, in addition to injury, I don't think I managed particularly great this year. I can't tell you how many guys I let go after holding them for a few weeks, like as a waiver pickup, pickup, and then the next team that picked them up, he they took off. Jonathan India, we'd mentioned before, he's one example. Uh, but there's a lot more where it's just like I was the last team to drop him. Discofani as well. I think I was the last person to drop him before um, Perry. So that's happened plenty of times. So I think my patience was a little off this year. Um, the deals I made towards the deadline, uh, I thought kept me in it for a little while. Springer came back. Starling Marte was amazing for a few weeks there. Um, when I first got Manaya, he was great. Nathan Navaldi has been pretty good the whole time through, strikes out a lot of guys. So for a while there, it looked like I was going to have a legit shot at sneaking in there. And then things just, I Manaya starts not playing, not pitching well. Um, Domingo Herman goes on the IL. Uh, Sandoval goes on the IL. Flaherty gets hurt again. Detmer suddenly, oh, I know I wasn't pitching great, but he goes on the IL. So it's just like injury caught up with me, but I didn't think my team was particularly great anyway. Um, so frustrating. And honestly, other than Acuna, like I have some choices to make when it comes to, to keepers this year. I'm eager to hear you tell me who you think I might be keeping. It's a little bit of a puzzle. Yeah, I mean, looking at your team, too, just to comment quick about what went wrong as well. I mean, your relievers were bad all year. I mean, cap it off this week with Reyes, gave up a three-run home run. And if you haven't heard uh, the Cardinals uh, announcer go off on the walk-off, it is the best call ever because he's so disappointed. And it's one of the best calls. I, I, for, I, for one, love when the announcers are as happy when the team wins and as upset when they lose. I mean, I'm not a huge Homer fan, but I do like when the team – you could feel the passion of the announcers, and he was just at a loss for words watching Reyes pull another save. So he's been really bad for you. Chapman was bad, then you traded him. He's been my headache now. He's been better but not great. He almost lost the job, and it's uncertain what they're doing with him moving forward because of his struggle still. Um, you can almost know when he's bad because he, he goes out there and throws two balls and like he goes behind the count and you know, it's going to happen. So for me having, you know, a closer system with Kimbrel 
Hader at one point and then Chapman, you know, it was hard because usually having a, the structure with the closers is good, but I feel like the closers have done more bad than good this year. If you have closers that you're relying on, it seems like the good ones are still blowing saves and it's almost better not even to have them because when they blow, when they blow it up, they blow up a week for you. And Reyes has done so. And Chapman did that to you. He lost you a matchup by himself. Um, well, it's crazy. You mentioned those two because my season actually got off to an amazing start, partly because of those two guys. They, you might remember, everyone remembers how good Chapman was for the first month or two. Alex Reyes was almost just as good, but he wasn't blowing people away as much. Like he was getting a little trouble, but he'd always get out of it. Um, and then yeah, sort of Chapman, doing the Dave Robertson south. thing, the Dave yeah. Robertson thing where you load the bases and somehow Houdini out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But the two of them eventually, like, I'll be honest, I almost dropped Alex Reyes today. And I mean, he might be taken out of the closer role, but the only reason I didn't was because I don't want like, I don't want to drop a guy like that. And then someone's able to scoop him up and it affects the playoff race, like getting the guy for free. Like if you start saving games again. So uh, there's really no reason for me to, to drop him at this point. Um, but I was very tempted out of just pure frustration, even though it wouldn't have changed things. It's just like, he's been so bad the second half of the season. It feels good to hit the drop button on some of these players. And I've done it. I've done a rage drop for a few players. I did that and it feels good, but then like you almost regret it instantly. So, um, but yeah, looking at your team specifically, I, I think Ronald Acuna is the layup. Edward Cabrera is the layup for the rest of the puzzle pieces. It's hard to put together. I mean, you have some choices here and really deservedly. So Sal Perez needs consideration, even though he's not going to be kept by you. The fact that he has 37 home runs for a catcher, and you got him in pretty good value as well. I'm not sure exactly where you got him in the draft, but I know it wasn't high because catches didn't start flying off until Real Muto went in like the sixth or seventh round. So you waited on Sal, and Sal's been excellent. Probably been the best catcher in baseball this year um, by far. So I, I, obviously you're not going to keep him, and you're not keeping Story. Looking at pitcher-wise, you got to consider keeping Giolito, but then we talked this morning via text. He'd be a first overall keeper as well, so you kind of – left out in the dark with him. You can't keep him and Acuna. Um, Manaya looks like he has dead arm. He hasn't pitched well since about mid-July. So you're hoping almost at this point that it is an injury because if it's not an injury, then there's a little bit more troubling because what's up with Manaya that he can't find the, find the strike zone and he doesn't pitch well anymore. So I'm kind of hoping it's dead arm for your sake and for baseball's sake because Manaya, when pitching in Oakland, is usually a very, very bright spot for um, an athletic team that – um, is usually competitive, so don't know what's going on there, and I think it's kind of a wait-and-see thing for you on that end. Um, but your team is very um, – it's hard. Last year, I feel like it was a layup for you about who you kept. This year, you can go in a lot of different directions and not necessarily the right direction each time. You're going to have to really be methodical about what you make uh, as far as choices go. Yeah, I agree with a lot of the things you said. I would, I will say that a few weeks ago, I think you would have been right, as good as South Perez – has been I wouldn't really consider keeping him now that has changed completely he is very much on the table for me um I mean the guy scored 20 points alone this week this week five home yeah. runs and then two grand slams like he's been unbelievable I picked him in the 12th round to have a catcher of that caliber caliber just sitting there in the 12th round for me and not have to worry about that position plus he plays more than any other catcher in the league like he almost never takes a day off it's unbelievable most of these guys you know, once every four or five days, they they'll get a day off. Um, yeah, so he didn't this time this year too, like with a with a severed retina, something with his eye, and he played like the next week. He had like eye surgery, 
And there if, were was that couple, this year? There were a couple little scares where, like, oh, it's like, uh-oh, like, he might be out a few days. And then he was back in, like, a day or two later. So the guy just wants to play every single day, which I love, obviously. Um, but my team, I'm going to have – so basically I'm going to have two different scenarios here. Like, I've already kind of tried to think them out a little bit. If I was able to win um, – the constellation that is obviously going to change things. And I'll, I'll go over that in a minute, but so let's pretend I don't win the constellation, which leaves me somewhere, you know, a few picks after the first person um, for the position player. I'm thinking Springer or Sal. Now, obviously Springer has been hurt all season pretty much, but he showed during that month or two that he was healthy. He's almost like a Cunha ish. The, like the, the numbers he can put up with the homers and just everything. Like he was unbelievable. Uh, so I have to consider. Yeah. In that lineup too. Yeah. In that, in that offense, it's pretty, it's very, very tempting, but obviously what I dealt with the injury leaves a little bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth, but it's still going to be consideration. Software is just dependable. Um, great value. So there's an option for sure. Pitcher is not obvious because of the Giolito thing you just said. I know Giolito has seemed a little over, over Un- underwhelming this year but when you look a little more at the advanced stats and things like that like he's still I think the number one pitcher who has the most uh, uh, swinging misses in the strike zone so like when he throws the ball in the strike zone nobody else can get the ball by these guys that are swinging uh, more than Giolito does so like if you really dig into it he maybe he's been a little unlucky this year and he still seems very much like a guy like a top 10 pitcher but I can't. I can't keep the guy because obviously Acuna is going to be kept in the first round. Um, pitchers. So if I can't keep Giolito, I have to think about Julio Arias, uh, Jack Flaherty. You mentioned Manaya. I'm not thinking about him. He's too Jekyll and Hyde, and I feel like he's been that most of his career. Um, and I'm even considering Herman Marquez, which might sound crazy to people since he pitches at Coors, but he's been really, really good. I know he's had a couple duds recently. He's been really good. Again, if you dig into the stats, like they're pretty tempting. Uh, I feel like he's still getting better. And he and Arias are good value. Like, they're somewhere in the teens of the draft rounds, whereas Flaherty would be pretty high. And all he's done lately is get a different injury, like, every month or so. When he's healthy, he still looks great. But he's got a lot of wear and tear on him at a young age. So I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be convinced enough to, to take him. Uh, you mentioned NAs. Obviously, Edward Cabrera. Reed Detmers is probably not going to reach the innings pitch uh, number where he's not an NA anymore. So I can keep him in that spot as well. And more than likely, I'm going to add at least one more NA before the season's over. Uh, especially since, you know, I don't really have to use my moves as carefully uh, this week. Acuna, I'm going to put in the under five spot, most likely. Um, and then the under two is interesting. I think at the beginning of the season, Jared Kalenic would have been an obvious one, but he's obviously He's struggled. He's looked a little better the last month or two, but still not what you want. Uh, Casey Mize has pitched pretty well. They limited his in- innings a little bit. I will say I don't love the advanced stats when you look at it. He looks like he's been a little bit lucky, so I'm not positive about him. The guy I'm leaning towards is I, I, honestly Josiah Gray. He's going to go over 50 innings, which will take his NA status away, unfortunately. Like, I, might, I might throw him in there to help me with pitching. Um, the only thing I'll say, if I can win the consolation and get the first pick, then I would not have to keep Acuna. So that would open me up to keep somebody else. I could take Acuna with the first pick instead. Um, and what that would let me do is keep 
an additional pitcher. So like my regular pitcher could be Marquez or Flaherty. And then my under five could be Urias or it could be Flaherty. Actually, he fits in that as well. If I kept someone else as the main pitcher. So I got a lot of thinking to do. If it's by the end of the World Series, not that much time to think about it. But like you said, definitely not as cut and dry as it was last year for me. Yeah, looking at your draft picks uh, in order, Urias is a 14th round pick. Herman Marquez is 15th round pick. Um, and, and then who else were we talking about as far as I think there's just those two guys. And the thing is, Marquez, I looked at his uh, contract status and he was signed through 2023 by the Rockies in 2019. So it's not as if he's a free agent and going elsewhere. Um, Cause I think the value of Marquez would be skyrocketed if the Rockies decided to trade him and who knows, maybe in the off season, they decide to do just that because they're not going to be competitive in the next two years. So they might just look to move on from Marquez and see what they can get for him. So if Marquez gets traded in the off season, not that you'd have that knowledge before the, the deadline for the keepers that could raise his value because he's already showed that he can pitch well in cores, which is a hitters friendly ballpark and on the road, he's been really good. Um, and like you said, the advanced stats sort of support the fact that he could pitch really well anywhere. And he's defied the odds as far as uh, pitchers that go to Colorado to die. He's been really, really good. Um, as far as Urias goes, he's one of those guys that sort of, you see the bright spots. He pitched so well in the world series. And when given the opportunity, uh, the key word being opportunity, like he needs the, the opportunity to pitch for, for uh, the Dodgers. And it's, you know, at some point, Injuries will happen, and I think he'll be a, a big bright spot in their rotation. Or if Bauer obviously never comes back, which I think the jury's still on that one, um, we're, we're going to see what happens with that. Um, but right now, I think Urias's role on the Dodgers isn't as defined as probably you would hope it would be at this point in his career. I think you were hoping that maybe he would have established himself as a clear number three. And at this point, he's in the rotation, but it's like, how long is he going to be in there? And the Dodgers are just so stacked. They could at any given time, similar to what the Astros did with Christian Javier, toss him into the bullpen and his value is almost immediately gone. So that's kind of the risk you take putting a guy like that as a keeper. Um, and looking at the other players, I think more so than ever, the constellation bracket means so much for you, because like, as you mentioned, if, if you are able to get the first overall pick, you don't have to worry about keeping Acuna with that spot. You could just actually pick him when you get number one overall and then be able to finesse another player in there and figure it out. Um, but I think the value is there for you to get a lot of success out of these guys. And like the choices are tough. And I think there are some wrong choices you can make um, quote unquote wrong. It could wind up hurting you if these guys don't stay healthy or, you know, you make the wrong choice of not keeping Springer and he wants to be in the MVP next year because he stays healthy. Who knows? So a lot to think about on your end and you're not used to being in this spot. You used to sort of used to putting all hands on deck, fielding the best possible team and worrying about keepers when you worry about them. Now you've sort of been sort of focused on building your team for next year for like five weeks at this point. So it's kind of, sometimes you have too much time to think and that's even more challenging than sort of doing it on the fly and letting things, letting the cars fall when they met. Yeah, I agree. I, I've kind of gone over this a few times that it changes a little bit every time. I mean, honestly, I just realized today the whole Acuna Giolito thing that took Gio out of the picture picture because even when he was struggling early earlier in the year and I was souring on him, I in the back of my mind, especially now that he's pitched better uh, recently, I, I, he still was probably going to be my pitching uh, keeper. But now he's just taken out of that picture completely. So I, uh, I'm hoping maybe I can grab him in the draft next year. I don't know where he goes, 
but um we'll see so yeah a lot to think about for sure even with but even with like say you didn't have Acuna it would be really hard to sort of justify keeping Giolito even if he pitched as well as he did last year you know with the one with your first pick I it was hard to swallow for me keeping Scherzer where I did and Scherzer sort of been as good as advertised but I know pitch, we're pitching starving this league, but keeping Giolito there would be quite the jump as far as value goes. Getting him in the fourth round is like, that's doable. That's, right. that's good value there. But the fr- the jump from 4 to 1 is really stark. So um, I don't blame you for sort of moving away from him and seeing what you can do. I mean, if you get him back in the draft, you target him. and He's had a down year. I can't see him his stock rising higher than the fourth round. Who knows, though? Right. I mean, honestly, uh, you could turn it on the end of the year and all of a sudden just be completely good. The, the guy people think about on the White Sox now as far as pitchers is Lance Lynn. So, like, uh, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, G. Little might not be – I still think he's going to be highly ranked by, like, fantasy sites. So, I guess that could put it him back in people's sights. But who knows? Um, all right, but enough about me. Let's let's move on to the next uh, person in the power rankings here. Um, and that is going to be uh, you, Steve, coming in at number seven. Uh, it's right where you, you are in the regular standings as well. Uh, 46 total points this time, average rank 7.67. Interestingly enough, you had a little bit more of a range than most teams uh, this time around. Highest rank was four uh, and lowest rank was seven. And if we look at the original power rankings before week one, this is kind of a trend. Like Greg was one, I was two, and now we're toward the bottom. You were three. So it just keeps on going where we've kind of reversed things. The only thing that's different about uh, you from me and Greg is that you still have a shot at the playoffs. Um, when I look at your team, like I don't want to say what's gone wrong because you're still in that playoff picture. So I feel like that would be the wrong way to go about talking about your team right now. Instead, so one segment I want to do with you for every team that's still alive for the playoffs, I created a little thing. So it's kind of like um, – marry fuck kill or whatever it is kill fuck marry whatever but we're going to call it something else for fantasy purposes so this is going to be beast pedestrian il doesn't flow as well but that's what i came up with so basically i'm going to give you three players for each team as we talk about them and you're going to tell me who that team needs to be a beast who can be pedestrian like just their average selves and who they can afford out of those three people to go on the il for their best possible playoff chances does that make sense yeah Mm -hmm. so bpi uh yeah bpi not to be be confused with bmi body mass index so (laughs) yeah um all right so for you i didn't really do it on purpose but it ended up being a dodger theme it was hard to pick just three guys for each team but i did my best so for you i'm going muncie trey turner scherzer for you to get in the playoffs and then do well in the playoffs bpi who would you pick? Um, so I, I would say Scherzer would need to be his best possible self, go out there and have a complete game. I haven't gotten anything that from that if, in that regard from him this year. He's been really good. He just hasn't done that special thing this year yet. So I think if I was going to get into the playoffs, I need him to get out there and have a stellar week. He has a two-start week next week. I'm hoping that he can go out there and at least throw one complete game shutout and just make it a laugher. I beat Perrier, and then all I need is Jimmy to beat Alicia. Um, I also, pedestrian, probably Muncie. He's been, he was hot for me when I first got him. Uh, it's so tough, though. Uh, um, I would say Muncie, I would need him more than Turner because I'm still getting the speed from 
Haniger and a Rosarena um, and even Altuve when he's on base. I need Muncy's power numbers, and he's the biggest piece for me that I was missing. I did trade a lot for him. I traded Valdez and Kikuchi. Valdez has been good. I think looking at Valdez's numbers, if I would have had him this week, I probably would have won. Um, but that's sort of the game you play when you trade. But I need Muncy's power numbers, and I need him to hit, have one of those weeks where he has six home runs or whatever, um, and just be sort of himself. And I would uh, assume that would be pedestrian for him. And then I guess losing Turner, even though that hurts, but uh, Turner's been sort of non-existent in the last three weeks. He's had around six to seven points. Um, that's not what you used to from getting from Turner. And uh, it's a tough choice, but I would say I need Muncy more than Turner as far as it, because I'm losing because I'm not hitting enough home runs. I'm getting single digit home runs from my guys while I'm losing to a team like Karen, who I think she hit like 25 home runs. No joke this week. I mean, Edmund had like six himself. So I'm looking at my team for the week. Nobody hit more than two home runs. So like, that's what I'm missing. And I got none from Muncie. I know he was hurt for some of the week with a lower back injury, but I need home runs and I'm not getting it. And I can't seem to find the power anywhere. And I'm looking at my roster and there's guys with power. Cruz is on the team. Fermil Reyes hits home runs. Muncie hits home runs. Altuve has about 30 home runs. Jose Abreu, but they're not hitting home runs. And I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm just at a loss with my team. And I can't make any decisions now because who are you dropping? Who are you picking? It's just kind of letting it ride. But it's been disheartening. And I don't have the power numbers to back it up. I can, I, if I'm looking at the complete stats, um, I have to be let, last in power. I feel like I never hit home runs. I mean, it so might I can be do me. that. I'm going to look at record books. <laughs> it might I'm going to look me, at it right cause... now because I, I have to know. So league especially, statistics, let's go batters. Especially without Springer and Acuna for a lot of the season. Like the only guy that's consistently hitting homers for me is, is Perez. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I was below you. Uh, it's under team stats, not record book. I'm going there now. So as far as home runs go, um, let's see. So the highest ranked team. Oh, this is just exactly what I thought. Um, so highest ranked team is Perry with 234. Uh, I'm actually at 190, which is shocking. I'm sure Muncie brought it up a little bit. You're at yeah. 175, which is dead last. So I yeah. guess it's about right. <laughs> That's been my problem all season. Yep. But I mean, I, I felt like this year I couldn't find the home runs. I'm usually that's like the given in fantasy baseball, you just find guys that hit 30 home runs and my team, I have guys that hit home runs. I just like, it's not, it didn't come together this year for me as far as power goes. When I look at your guys right now, like as far as like recent performance, the one thing that I feel like hurts you right now is Tim Anderson being in and out of the lineup because um, it's like leg soreness or something. And LaRusso straight up said that like, if it was playoffs, he'd be in there. He's fine. We're just like, they have the, uh, the ability to rest these guys a little bit down the stretch because they have a nice lead in their division in yeah. the last 30 days for your offense he's had the highest average he's averaging 1.61 points so to have your hottest guy like be in and out of the lineup I know Tim Anderson's not really the guy you think of when we think of your team and like the players you need to perform but like he's been a glue guy for you I feel like where he's just kind of dependable he's going to put up his points um so hopefully they figure out what's going on and get him in there day in and day out i know you have a you have strangely enough you have a bench now it's not usually uh something you do but you have a two-player bench on the offense I, I didn't want to it just happened by chance because of the fact well two things happened this week buster posey had back stiffness or something or he got hit with a foul ball and 
he was uh, he was day to day. So like I was like, all right, well, they're not going to Gabe Kapler's not going to put him in the IL. He's going to be just day to day, not playing. So I picked up Yachty. So I had at one point I had Yachty and Marlena added to this bench too. Wasn't going to drop them. I picked up Connor Joe because I was having these Randy Rosarena sits every other day because of Kevin Cash and the ridiculous Rays lineup. So I'm like, I need someone to at least pop in there when a Rosarena is not playing and left. And then Turner went day to day as well. So usually my lineup is cemented where I don't have to think about it. Turner's my utility guy. Tim Anderson's my shortstop. And then every once in a while, I'll make the decision based on who's sitting with Tommy Fan. When I had Adam Frazier on my team before I dropped him, who similar to Craig Kimbrell, Adam Frazier, his value is completely lost in the Padres because he's not playing every day. He's lost in that lineup. He's just not the same player. So I just dropped him. I mean, the dude was at one point an NL MVP candidate, not saying he was going to win it, but he was playing out of his mind in Pittsburgh, was traded to the Padres who you thought maybe like, all right, surrounded by some good talent. He's going to get more chances to have RBIs and come up in big situations. No, they don't play him. So my bench became sort of evolved into this thing where now I have choices to make and I freaking hate it. I hate making choices on who I'm playing. I don't want Connor Joe on my goddamn team. I want to be able to make a decision and be like, all right, this is my team. But with these managers sitting guys, I don't have these players that play every day. I have guys that are sitting three times a week and I don't understand. Like Nelson Cruz sat today. Why, why are you sitting today? I know he's been struggling, but you're playing Baltimore in Baltimore. Like it's a hitting ballpark. You are used to used to play there. It makes no sense to me. And it's so frustrating, but, um, long story short, I hate having the bench, but it kind of evolved out of need this week. And I hate it, but there's also yeah. no pitchers to pick up. Like I'm, I'm carrying Trevor Rogers. I had him in an NA spot, but I put, pulled him out because at any time he already had a rehab start. I know they're going to start him and know in Miami, they were going to just toss him out there and be like, Oh, by the way, he's, play, he's pitching Saturday. And I would have to make a knowing me, I would have to make the according move and it'd be too late. So I'm like carrying Rogers desperate for him just to come back because he's another guy I could probably use um, two quality starts from next week. Yeah, that makes sense. Honestly, I would do the same thing if I were you, because that that's probably exactly what's going to end up happening. And that could be. And Yahoo doesn't update it, dude. Like they, they say he's going to have a rehab start, but they don't mention how it went. So Tuesday they said he'd make his first minor league rehab start with low A Jupiter. And then I, I had to like go searching on low A Jupiter's box scores to find how he pitched. You think Yahoo would update you? But they don't. Yes, especially a guy like that. Like he's not like he's just a straight up NA that hasn't pitched in the majors all season. Like he's he's a rookie of the year candidate. Yeah, and I think he's motivated this year. I mean, not to get into the whole story about him, what happened with him. I'm not sure if you saw why he was out. Yeah, just yeah, just absolutely devastating. What a horrible situation for him, losing both his grandparents and his mom was on the ventilator and terrible. I'm glad everything worked out with his mom that she's okay. Um, but he's been away from the team since I think end of July and it sort of opened up the opportunity for me to trade for him because he was an untouchable for Perrier. I know that everyone was asking for him and begging to trade for him and for the future and for the present day. He's been unbelievable with the, the value and the draft for next year. I don't think I would have been able to get him if he didn't sit out for all that time because if he continued to pitch, even if he struggled, there's no way that Perry, I know he's desperate for another championship. He had to make the move and move him. But um, I'm very grateful to have him on my team and hopefully he's uh, a guy that I can build around and he could be a guy that's on my team for a long time. I'm very excited to have him. and He's definitely someone I'm going to be keeping next year. 
Yeah, the guy's a stud, and I've watched him a few times, especially as a lefty. Like, I, the way he pitches, I feel like he's just different than any other lefty. The only thing I'd like to see out of him is a little more consistent, like six, seven innings kind of thing. And maybe that's just the next step for him. He's a young pitcher. And just what Miami's doing with the arms that they're like, as a Met fan, I'm just kind of like, what is it going to be like going against this team in like three, three game series, four game series. If all these guys turn out, even if like half of them turn out, it's nasty. Edward Cabrera is up now, like six though back next year, Trevor Rogers, like on and on and on and on Max Meyer. Like it, it's unbelievable what they've stacked up. Yeah. Even if they hit on say like three of the six and you get three, that thing with the Braves did, they had three aces. If you get three aces out of that, that lot of talent, say Rogers, Meyer and six to one up being three aces and similar to, you know, what the Braves did with Glavin, Smoltz and um, Greg Maddox. I mean, damn. So the writing's on the wall that the, the Marlins are going to be good sometime soon as long as they're able to spend some money and surround that offense with some talent i mean your cleanup hitter can't be jesus aguilar you need to find somebody else uh, to surround the talent that's already there yeah no doubt i mean not to digress a little bit about that but looking at my team as far as keepers go I'll, i'll let you sort of take the lead on that and i'll be as transparent as possible about what i think i'm doing um but it's definitely not set in stone man so uh so the most thought, I, I'll be honest, that I put most of my thought into keepers for the uh, teams that are definitely not making the playoffs. So I didn't really look at your team like that yet. But if I look quickly, um, I'll try to do it on the fly. Let's see. So position player. Um, that's a little tricky. Position player. I'm thinking you're going Muncie. Um, obviously, you got a Trey Turner there. You Jose Abreu's dependable, Altuve, Altuve, great value because of how far he fell this year because everyone just was hating on him and thought he was yeah, done. Altuve's a 13th round, which would be really, really valuable. I but, mean, that's super tempting. I don't think you're going that way. I, I, if I had to put money on it, I'm going Muncy for everything he can he can do. But you can tell me if you're leaning that way or not in a minute. Uh, pitcher, I'm guessing Corbin Burns here. Um now, wait a minute. So, hold on. Trevor Rogers. well, he – okay, so he has 110 innings pitched. So, he's not – obviously not N.A., but you could keep him in the under, under two. two. Under two, yeah. All right, so Trevor Rogers under two. I'm thinking Burns as your regular pitcher. I think Muncie as your position player, but you have different ways you can go there. And then under five, Connor Joe. Definitely Connor Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I saw him live in person. He's been, dude, he's actually pretty good, but you know. No, he's a solid player. I'm just joking. <laughs> but um, honestly, I'm not sure for the under five. So you can help me out with that one. I know Logan Webb's been really good this year. I just don't know if you have that kind of belief in the guy. Um, so am I close with what I said so far? You, you are close. Yeah. So I, as far as what I have penciled in right now, and this could change at any given time. I have my under two year being Trevor Rogers. That was as soon as I traded to Ferrier. I like, I was like, yeah, this is my guy. I'm going to build around him. So he's around 24 keeper. Absolutely. Un, like it's an undoubt, undoubtable situation that I want him to be my guy. I build around uh, Corbin Burns is my under five year. So he's around four keeper. I drafted him there. Um, Muncie. I have penciled in as my position player because it's around 11. And to me, you know, keeping Turner in the spot. I think Turner was a second round player. 
I could see if I can get Turner back in the draft, but I'd rather play my, you know, play my cards and have the guy with the value. And Muncie has been unbelievable in a, in a different year. He might be an MVP candidate if Tatis wasn't having the year he was. Um, and then as far as my pitcher goes, I have Scherzer penciled in. I know it's around one keeper. I know he's a year older. I know he's a free agent, but he's the most reliable guy that was on my team this year. And he was the one I had the most question marks around what he was going to do. And I think Scherzer's still going to get his money from somebody next year. And I still think he's going to be a valuable pitcher. Um, I could change my mind. You mentioned Logan Webb. Um, you, you know, Logan Webb right there, he's been unbelievable. And every time you think the floor is going to drop out from him, he shows you another outing that he is amazing. Like I, I, there's no words to show what he's done this year. And I know Jimmy threw him in on a trade this year for uh, Otani. He probably thought the same thing. I thought even the advanced stats don't buy Logan Webb. They don't believe that this is the real deal. And if you buy the advanced stats and the sabermetrics and uh, barrel rate and all that stuff, they say Logan Webb can't keep this up. I mean, they were right on Zach Plesak. That's why I didn't keep him last year. So I think I may follow the trend and not keep Webb Webb and just enjoy the the fruits of everything this year and like see what happens next year. I can't see him going so far out there that, you know, he won't be attainable in the draft. So it's not like I won't be able to get him. Um, But I think people are recognizing that he's a solid pitcher this year. So he's an option for me. Um, Really, that's the only two guys as far as my pitchers go. Kyle Hendricks has been abysmal this year. Um, it's good value for him, but he's been Jekyll and Hyde. He's either going to pitch like an MLB ace or a guy from double A throwing batting practice. Like that's, you don't know what Hendricks you're getting. And he doesn't have um, electrifying stuff enough to sort of be able to justify not having, uh, if he's having location issues on that day, he can't just blow by anybody. He's throwing 91 miles an hour. So when he's off, he's really off. Like today he was really bad. And if you would have had a decent outing today and did something for me, maybe I would have had a shot. But he got blown up in the, just in the first inning, three earned, three earned runs against the White Sox, finished with eight earned runs, just an awful outing for him. Um, so, yeah, looking at those guys, I do like my offense. But like I mentioned before, there's something that's not there for me. And I don't know, I thought Cruz would have solved that issue. I thought maybe Muncie would have solved that issue, but – it's not there for me. So I have some question marks. And as far as my NAs go, I'm definitely going to be keeping a Pache who I acquired in that trade with, um, with Rogers. I do like what he has to offer. And I think that he's going to be a solid piece in that Atlanta outfield. And I'll be keeping Max Meyer as well. And he's someone that I think I expect big things out of. And I think he's another arm in the Marlins system that could be uh, one of those guys we're going to watch develop and sort of be a young, talented ace. And I'm leaving my two other NA spots open because I do want the option of drafting some of the young talent that was drafted this year. See if I can get my hands on some of those players that were, uh, they'll be eligible in the NA draft this year. So as of now, I'm not picking up any NA players because if I want first stab at those players that have come out of the draft. Yeah. I'm actually considering that as um, well with going with like three NAs and leaving one open question about that real quick. Cause I kind of forget. Um, are when we draft next year, in order to draft any NAs, do you have to wait till after round 24 for the round, the actual NA draft part or no, no, no. You-, you could draft them whenever you want, but just know that if you draft an NA guy in the uh, whatever 22nd round, I, it is a gray area, but I'm pretty sure we have decided that he'd be kept as a 22nd overall pick, despite him being eligible for that. NA. Right. Uh, right. Okay. 
gotcha. So like, I say, just couldn't remember. For whatever reason, like, I don't know. Hey, Travis doesn't keep Grayson Rodriguez for whatever reason is in that A. And someone recognizes straight out of camp. He's going to be on the Orioles staff. And someone's like, I'll take a stab and pick him up at the 23rd draft pick. And he doesn't want to pitching. He's still eligible to be in NA next year. He would be able, he would have to be kept in 23rd overall pick. It's sort of a weird gray area that we find ourselves in because it hasn't been done. It's sort of right. like an unprecedented move. But I, knowing how valuable some of these NA players have become, it wouldn't shock me if someone did that next year. So I do appreciate the question. Yeah, looking actually at my draft this year, I didn't remember I did this, but in round 22, I actually took Logan Gilbert, who uh, I obviously didn't hold on to, and Jimmy has him now. So that would have meant – well, actually, so he – interestingly enough, he came up pretty early, and he's not going to be NA eligible anyway. But let's pretend I picked him in that 22nd round and he didn't reach the 50 innings. I see what you're saying. He could be kept as an NA, but it would be in that 22nd round instead of uh, the 24th. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, we just have, to, I just have to be careful and, like, be able to recognize it. Like, I usually go through the draft results before I establish the keepers and finalize them. Right. So, I would I would catch that. But, um, yeah, it's just all stuff we have to work out. Like, if Jimmy decides to keep Gilbert this year, we have to just remember that he was drafted by you. So. Right. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Moving on to number six, we have Alicia coming in just a smidge above me, 44 total points. Average rank was 4.89. Highest rank was three. Lois was seven. And she's one of these. Th- I mean, her team has been Jekyll and Hyde. I think her team has sort of s- stabilized itself since making that trade for Valdez and Kikuchi. More so Valdez because Kikuchi's been bad the last time, last c- couple times out. But Valdez has been excellent for her. And without Valdez, I think she'd be sitting on the outside looking in. So, um, she could thank everything with that trade because she finally pulled the trigger. She might've not got as much as she probably wanted, but I think it, it really fixed her season. She did lose this week. She's now sitting at 10 and 10. She has a chance to be on the outside looking in if she loses the Jimmy next week and I win. Um, but her season has sort of turned around. And I think if we want to go BPI for her, I'll let you kind of take the lead on that with the beast pedestrian and then who she can afford to not do anything. Um, I'll let you go from there and kind of talk about it. Yeah, so her team, man, it's kind of like full of stars, especially on the offense, obviously. So coming up with only three players to play that little game, which was kind of tough. But I tried to go with um, two position players that are just you expect to be consistent. And then I just added a pitcher in there that's been pretty good lately. So um, I went with Vlad Soto McCullers to play BPI with. Um, and the interesting thing about Vlad is he's been so great all year last 30 days he's only averaged 0.97 points which is got to be worrisome for her you do not expect under a point for an average for him uh, on the bright side Wander Franco who I almost put in the BPI because of what he's done lately 1.83 points average for the last 30 days so he's really really taken off wow, but anyway yeah. so let's we'll stick to the three I had so far so Vlad Soto and McCullers for BPI for her playoff chances and then if she were to make it her actual playoff success i agree with that i'll just replace mccullough's with kikuchi because kikuchi's been just awful his last four times out i think he pitched okay the first time for her but hasn't been good seems like sort of the bloom is off the flower with him i think you know he kind of does this every year he's pretty solid for a large stretch of the year and then lineups sort of figure him out so i think kikuchi's done 
but Valdez, I think would be the guy that she probably needs a lot from. So I'm going to replace, uh, who'd you have? You had uh, Vlad is her, her uh, beast. Well, I, I didn't necessarily label them. I was saying if we had to choose, if it was Vlad Soto and McCullers, who would you be putting as the beast? Who would you put, be putting as the pedestrian and, and who could afford going to the IL? Gotcha. All right. So I would say out of those three, I would put Vlad as the beast. Um, I would put McCullers as a non-entity. And then who was the, the other guy would be pedestrian. Uh, Soto, Juan Soto. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Soto's sort of been hit and miss this year as well. Like he's been 11th ranked overall, but there's been some weeks she's won with him doing nothing. So because of the offense being able to be picked up by Vlad and even by Ozzy and Rafi Devers. So um, she has an embarrassment of riches as far as offense goes, even with trading Muncie, her offense is still probably the best in the league. Um, you know, being able to replace the third baseman, that you have with uh, Muncie with Devers instead of putting him in a utility spot. And then Wander Franco has been uh, kicking into high gear. He would undoubtedly be sitting on her bench if uh, the crowd was still happening on her team, because where would even Wander even be playing if Muncie was still there? So I do agree with what you had said about um, all that, but looking at the other entities of her team from Valdez, you look at sneaky numbers. He's been going out there every time for her. And he's got at least six plus in the last three outings for her. And she hasn't been getting that from anybody before DeGrom uh, got hurt. She could rely on him, but nobody else. She, re- she really has nobody else as far as pitching goes. So she's doing it with like strings and strings and wire. And Framer Valdez is like the only guy you can rely on for her on the pitching staff. No, yeah, I think you're the word you used earlier, stabilized. I think that trade definitely stabilized her and, I've been say, saying all along, along for her, the biggest challenge is getting in the playoffs. I think she's super dangerous if she gets gets in there because if even like a third of these guys on offense get hot, like for a few weeks, it's going to be, you don't want to go against her. Like Vlad, Albies, Devers, Bichette, Soto, Brandon Lau now, now Wander Franco, like just even Josh. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Josh Bell put up points on her bench. I'm just wondering, like, when she's going to figure out a way to get him in there. Like, maybe over Dylan Carlson. Like, he hits another two home runs today on the bench, 4.55 points. I would, it would take way too much time, but I would love to know how many points he has put up on her bench. He's been super hot for the second half of the year. And I almost yeah. feel like it's just gone, un, uh, gone unnoticed. Yeah. You've been looking at like, like a Charlie Blackman who's had a down year. He's sort of at the twilight of his career, just sitting on her bench at, <laughs> at all times. So even if he has a good day, she never gets to reap the benefits of rostering him. He had a pretty good day today, had two points and every once in a while he'll like throw it back, but you're right. Josh Bell has been incredible, but it's hard to even like, he hasn't been a non-factor in our league because he's always on her bench. So it's very, very interesting to watch. And like, I always talk about this and I'm going to talk now because I got a three man bench, but having those decisions to make are, is always so challenging because Without a doubt, you're going to make the wrong decision at some point, and it could cost you the matchup. Look at Nick Lett last week. Not that it was it mattered. It actually did matter because Karen wound up getting a win. And if he would have just made the right decision to start somebody, uh, Karen would have lost. So it happens, and I understand that the waiver wire is so thin as far as pitching goes, so it's like you can't even justify rostering some of this like garbage that's out there. So it's almost right. like you'd rather just have these offensive players and then have a replacement when in, undoubtedly you're going to have someone that sits. So, um, but you have to deal with the fact that you're going to leave points on the bench. And sometimes 
it's going to lose you a matchup. Um, looking at her team, I'm not going to go through the keepers, but she has some really tough choices um, to make. And I think she probably has an idea in her head about who she wants to keep. Um, but for me, like, I think Vlad is a no-brainer and Juan Soto is a no-brainer because Vlad, she got in fourth round. Soto will be floated up to the seventh round for her. Uh, for under two years, she has to make a decision. And for his pitcher, like, you going to keep Jake in, in the first round or are you going to throw him back out there and see what you can do? So, and she won't Tom, have the opportunity in the consolation bracket to win it if she makes the playoffs. I feel like the rest of us are like licking our lips with some of the players she's going to have to let go. Just like, all right, Albies, Devers, like throw them back. Maybe Bichette. Um, <laughs> like all these guys are going to be fun to have as options. Um, even like you said, possibly DeGrom in there if, you know, if he's healthy. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely going to be people that she cannot keep. And it'll be very difficult for her to recreate this offense next year for sure. Yeah, some of the value that's been raised on some of these players, like Vlad Jr., obviously we talked about she's going to keep him, but no way he goes in the fourth round next year if he's left out there with everybody. He's now a top two-round player because of what he's done. We've ex- we've, we've sort of been drafting him on potential. At this point, it's no longer potential. It's a real it, it's a real fact that he puts up MVP-style numbers, especially in that lineup, playing in that ballpark. Vlad Jr. is going to be a force to be reckoned with, and he's so young. So, I, I mean, it makes so much sense for her to keep those two hitters and be able to build her team around that Soto's a no, no brainer she wouldn't move Soto in any of the trades so I have a feeling that she has him in mind to keep for a long period of time and Soto you're getting first round value in the seventh round so how do you not do it and he does it quietly yeah, yeah Soto Soto does it in a way that like it's not flashy it's not Tatis level he's doing a, in a on a bad team now like he's the one piece that's sort of the bright spot for a really bad team that sold all their pieces um, but Soto is, I mentioned before, Ted Williams tier numbers, and that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. So he's been that damn good. And he's still so young. And I think, you know, I, I did a podcast, what, three months ago at this point about the Juan Soto slander. Cause I think Nick came in the league saying how he hates <laughs> Juan Soto. I did a whole podcast dedicated to him. So I appreciate Soto. I, I, I drafted him. I had him on my NA team. I, tra- I traded him in the playoff run to get Garrett Cole. And unfortunately, didn't get me a title, but I really wish I had Soto on my team right now. Well, let me ask you. So if if, if it's Vlad and Soto back on her team, um, well, is there any way for her to keep three of these position players? Like, say she keeps... Um, yeah, because Vlad would be under five. She could keep him under there. Um, right. And Soto could be under... Well, Soto could be just – or Vlad could be just position player. Soto, Soto could be, under, be five. under five. And then, then Ozzy out – Bichette, let's see his, his time. Ozzy I don't think fits in under two. I could say he's been around longer. Devers doesn't either. But yeah, I, I, they're definitely – if you add Bo Bichette in there, there's a way to keep him under two and then mix in two of the other offensive players as well. Bichette right now <laughs> – um, not con- not containing this year's numbers. He has 1.063 of service time. So add a full year to that. So 2.063. Okay, so, so maybe not. Probably not. And then Juan Soto might have less than Bichette, right? Because he's only been in the league for... I think Soto's got more. He's been longer than, it, than we realize, I feel like. Let's see. So, so Yeah, Soto has yeah 2.134. So. Which means over three now. 
dude's 22 years old like what's just wild it's so insane. let me ask you what i was gonna say before that um if it's if the the players that she's throwing back in the drafts as far as the stars let's say albies devers and bobachette she can't keep them which right. one of those three would you most want like without taking your other players in consideration pretend you have a blank slate albies devers bobachette um i probably want devers honestly because he does it in a way that again is quiet but he's right now seventh overall in points he he hits for power he hits uh he hits doubles that ballpark is very attractive to me playing at fenway park i think i would rank it rafi devers bo bichette ozzy alves and they're all great players they're superstar players but i think it goes devers bichette alves I agree with you. I, I think the Albies and Bichette one is close. I think you can make an argument for either one, but I, I would definitely go Devers first among those three. But I guess has there ever been yeah. a quieter team than the Boston Red Sox? They have so much talent on that team, but do it in a way that's like Rafael Devers. Like say, think about in the past, like other players that have been superstars. Do you even hear about Rafael Devers? He gets lost in the fold. Not as much as you should, especially in a market like that. It's pretty unbelievable that they're not. Yeah, that's not like. Uh, you know, front page stuff every day. I don't think I've even um, seen a Rafael Devers jersey anywhere. You know what no, I mean? Like, I've true. never seen his shirt. You know, like, weird. It is weird. Um, all right. So, I guess we'll move on to the next uh, person in the power rankings here. So, coming in at number uh, five is Jimmy. Uh, 38 total points. And just I feel like just maybe last, last time he was number one, right? So, he's Moved down four spots. Uh, he had an average rank of 4.22. Highest rank was two. Lowest rank was six. So quite a range for him, too. If we look back at the very first edition of the power rankings this year, he was seventh. So it's still a brighter spot than what he started with. No one really thought a ton of his team when the season started. And then midway through, I feel like everyone's like, wow, this team's actually really, really good. And now it's kind of... I don't know, up and down. And again, a little bit of bad luck, whether it be losing close matchups where he put up a lot of points or losing players to injury. I think the good news for him is that some of these guys have come back. So he just got Bregman back, which is nice. Um, Yelich, I feel like, is coming out of it a little bit. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is officially back, and he's been really good from what I've seen. I guess the concern now is Otani, I think, got hit uh, in his hand or wrist today or yesterday. They said yep. x-rays were negative, but you got to wonder, are they going to, you know, with the Angels, nothing really to play for. And you see what they're doing with Trout. I think the worst case scenario for him, especially because he has Otani as a batter and a pitcher, if they start treating Otani a little bit with kid gloves, that would suck for him. It's been really refreshing to see Joe Madden treat this guy like a professional and just let him do his thing. But I feel like you're at the point of the season now where it's like injury scare. Like we don't want to ruin this. Are we going to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit here? That would really hurt for him. Um, so, yeah, I think Jimmy's a very dangerous team. I mean, if he gets the Robbie Ray that we've seen last time out and pretty much all season, it's crazy what he's done. Uh, I mean, he could be dangerous if Chris Archer turns it a little bit on here. That's the added bonus for him. So I, I, I don't know. With, with Jimmy, his team confuses me a little bit. 
I think a few weeks ago, I did think he was a title contender. Now I look at it and when I look at his team, this is my main thought. He made some great value picks in the draft that maybe I didn't think a lot of when they happened or a lot of uh, great little value waiver pickups as well. So I'll give him that for sure. I don't know if this team is going to be able to run three wins in a row in the playoffs. And that's obviously what you have to do if you don't have the buy. So I think he's had a really good season. I'm probably rooting for him because uh, I, I love seeing how invested in it he is in it this year. He's had some rough seasons for a while, um, but I'm eager to see how he does in playoffs. I don't, has he ever, has he been in the playoffs in the last four or five years? Ironically, I'm pulling up the, the thing as you were saying that. Um, so for his team history, it's been quite some time though. Um, last time he made the playoffs was 2014. He made it 2013, 2014, has not made the playoffs any other season in our league. Didn't win a division, hasn't won a pennant. This will be his first point title if he can get it as well. Um, yeah, so there's a lot on line for him. I think that this is the best team he's ever constructed, the most invested he's probably been in our league ever. He's been the most vocal in the chat he's ever been. And he's had some bad luck too. Like looking at his first overall pick, it's Christian Yelich and you just mentioned before, he's just coming back and getting into the swing of things. It's a little bit late. Maybe he gets lucky and he gets hot for the playoffs, but Yelich has been a non-entity really all year. You don't even hear his name. The Brewers have been good. And you don't even hear his name. So um, I think you nailed it on the head with Jimmy. He made some nice moves in the waiver wire. Um, you got to wonder what could have been if that trade would have went through with, with uh, Nick that he could have acquired that large package of pitching that eventually went to you. So maybe it would have sort of put him over the top. Um, I think at this point, barring some sort of crazy scenario, he's going to win the point title unless, like, say, I go off next week. I think I'm the one that's in shouting distance of him. So I think I have the difference of our points. He scored a little bit more than me this week by four points. So I think he has, like, 55 more points than me. So if I somehow, like, say he has a week like Nick did this week and I go off, I could – really win the point title but it looks like he's the favorite to do so and um, take home a point title which is not the championship he wants but it definitely is um, a feather in his cap of you know for a team that hasn't had that much to celebrate for a long time so he should be much better than 9-10 his points sort of support that um, in our history of the league I did go back and looked at our last um, couple teams that won the, the points championship and they usually either have a buy or they are in the championship. So he uh, it's been tough. Like look at 2018 for Bizzotta. He won the point title. He went 17 and four that year. Uh, 2013, uh, Greg won the point title, went 17 and five. In 2020, he went five and two in the shortened season, won the point title. 2012, I won the point title, went 15 and seven. 2017, you won the point title and you went 10 and 12 somehow. Um, <laughs> but I won the title that year. So it was not I'm sorry, no, 20. Sorry, I was 2016. You went 13 and nine, but um, oh, okay. And then Boxell in 2014 and 2019, 13 and nine, and then 16 and five. So somehow he's the only team that was somehow around 500. So like I was talking about before, like everyone wants to panic and restructure the whole league because the best team on paper and the best team that's been putting the points forward um, is not going to make the playoffs or they're not going to be competitive uh, come at the end of the season. I think it's more of the sort of a strange, perfect storm outlier situation than the norm. 
So I think we're usually going to have the best teams represented this year. Maybe not, you know, and that just happens sometimes. I don't think it's any reason to panic. I also think it's like a, a testament to like how locked in everyone, all 10 people have been this year where like, even if you're, you're the highest scoring team, you're constantly playing another team that's locked in and like trying their hardest and, you know, making moves where I, I think if we have that every year, you're going to see a little more of that where the highest point total isn't always getting the wins, which is, you know, what happens in a head to head league. I think it happens the lucky and the unlucky stuff. I think it happens a lot more in football, but in, in, it can rear its ugly head every once in a while in baseball. And we're definitely seeing that. But like you said, I mean, Jimmy should be happy if he's, if he's possibly getting the uh, point uh, championship, which looks like he will. Um, if we do BPI for him, uh, the three players I'm putting out there, and you can tell me who you think needs to be the beast and the pedestrian, the IL, if he's going to make a deep playoff run, uh, run. So I put Otani, the batter, Otani, the pitcher, and then Robbie Ray out of those three guys, who do you think needs to be the beast? Who can be the pedestrian, just average self. And then who can he afford to lose? I would say Otani needs to be the beast. This is the batter. And then I think, I think like he's been the guy that he's relied on all year. He's two overall in points. He's been a beast. He's going to be the AL MVP this year. He's been unbelievable for Jimmy's team. So I think Otani is the beast for him. Um, in the same breath, I think he doesn't need as much from the pitcher. I think he does need pitching, but I think Otani, as far as the pitcher, you probably want the batter more, you know, like, He's able to go out there and win. Like, look at this week in the, the 25th, he went out there and pitched well against the Orioles, and he still won this week and put up a decent amount of points. So he doesn't need Otani, the pitcher. I think he needs Otani, the batter. And if he had a pick, it sucks he has to pick, but I think the batter is more important than the pitcher. And I think Rob Ray, if he's just himself, like his average self he's been all year, that's a lot. You're going to get a lot of Ks. He's going to go out there and strike out anywhere from 10 to 14 guys. And he's going to give you uh, some distance in the game, going at least six or even at the bare minimum five and be able eligible for the win if the Jays are in the lead. Um, Robbie Ray has been great this year, and I think his average self um, sort of works it works itself out to be very valuable for his team. Yeah, I think I agree with that for the most part. The only thing with the Otani pitcher thing is, I mean, with the Chris Bassett injury, it's just like Jimmy – the pitching's a little bit thin for a playoff run. Like you really need every guy you throw out there to kind of hit um, in order to make up for it. It's just the Robbie Ray thing. Obviously, if he continues to do what he does, that that makes up for some of it. But I would say outside of the whole BPI thing, X factor, he's got two closers on good teams. I feel like if he's going to make a deep run, he needs to get some extra points from those two guys, Liam Hendricks, Will Smith, and he can't afford to have blown saves. I think that would – the way his team is constructed, I feel like that could throw him for an early exit if that were to happen. But, again, I, I think that's – now that I'm out of the playoffs, I'm probably rooting for Jim, and uh, we'll see how he does. First time in there in a long time. I'm certainly rooting for him next week. I need him to beat Alicia and I need to do my own, do, do the job myself and beat Perrier to get in the playoffs. So it sucks to have my, my fate lying in someone else's hands, but um, looking at Jimmy's offense and the point production, I guess I couldn't be relying on a better team because he's averaging the most points this year, averaging 137 a week, which is uh, no shy feat. I think he's been really, really good. 
and consistent all year. I think he's just ran into some bad luck. Uh, not not like every other team with the injuries, but just running into teams that score more than him. So um, he is a team to definitely watch if he gets in or stays in, I should say, um, because the pitching is thin, like you mentioned. I think he's uh, – it's going to be hard. He's going to need something to go really right. Like he's going to need a guy like Luis Garcia or like uh, one of those guys to have a complete game shutout or be able to stream some guy out there and get some luck go in his favor. Cause you remember he lost to, um, did he have, did he have, what's his name from the, the tigers as the, he had him, he streamed what's his name, right? Because no hitter. Oh. No, not, uh, what's his name? Um, why can't I think of his oh, name right now? I know where you're talking about. Yeah. I, I'm blanking on him. Oh, Spencer Turnbull, right? Yeah. 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 He's the one that streamed Turnbull this year. Right. So I'm talking about all this bad luck and Jimmy's the one that streamed him. I'm pretty sure you might be right about that. Yeah. So maybe he used all his luck in that one outing right there. So hopefully on his end, he's able to put, put it together. And for the very least, I hope he just gets in the playoffs because um, I'm not sure if he's, we talked about this before, completely clinched. I think we'll see tomorrow morning as far as who has the stars next to their names. I think he's completely clinched. And I think the last spot's going to be between myself and Alicia, but um, who knows at this point. So yeah, I, I don't think he's I don't think you'll see the star next to his name uh, tomorrow, but I think we can look at it and know that even if he loses, he would need someone with the same record to jump over his point total. And I don't think that is necessarily going to happen. So I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's in the playoffs, whether he's technically clinched or not. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but it's going to be a tough go for him. I think, like you mentioned before, it's going to take some something magical for him to happen. And maybe the luck's going to turn for him and he'll get some really good luck in the playoffs and be able to ride that into uh, a championship run. But moving on to – I'm going to do this as a, as a pair because they were tied. Um, so the two of these people were tied. Um, ironically, the highest rank and the lowest rank were the same, but there was some different movement. Um, so both 31 points, both average 3.44 as their rank. Highest was two, lowest was six. Um, so this is Karen and Perrier. So Karen moved up five spots from week 15. Perrier stayed exactly where he is. And to talk about both these teams as a clip, I think Karen, they're both teams that have been trending upwards. Karen was sort of a lost team maybe five weeks ago. We looked at her team as a, not a lost cause, but didn't have that offensive pop that maybe every other team had. We were sort of dissecting her roster and looking at guys that maybe shouldn't be rostered maybe it'd be Benintendi or Ian Happ. There were guys on our team that weren't, um, I guess, producing at the level that justify being rostered. But she's she's done a lot with her roster since that point. Um, she's gotten huge production from Tommy Edmond, Teoscar Hernandez, Kyle Seeger. Um, she has Jarrett Walsh on her team, who's been great for the Angels. Um, Whit Merrifield has been another MVP candidate in another year that didn't include Shohei Otani. Whit Merrifield's been absolutely amazing. He's topped 12 in points for us. Um, and then pitching-wise, she's had some tough go, but biggest help for her is Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler has been an NL Cy Young contender. He's been unbelievable for the Phillies. Uh, Hugh Darvish came off the IL, has not been pitching as well as probably he would hope, but you have to think that he'd be get, he's going to get it going as, as, as soon as probably his next start. He's still shaking the rust off. But the weird part about it is they haven't won a game um, since June that Darvish has pitched. So 
Um, well, he hasn't gotten a decision that was a win. So Darvish has had some tough luck, and uh, you have to think it's going to turn around because he is a really, really good pitcher. Um, as far as Perrier's team goes, he's been on an, up, on an upward swing, and I think Perrier's team is a team to really watch. I think we talk about this every, every week in the podcast. Um, but I remember you and I in week 15 talked about he has the most paths to the championship. I think that still remains true. He got yes money Grandal back somehow off that knee injury. I don't know how he's back already. Um, offensively, he's been uh, really good. I mean, he doesn't like to hear it, the Brandon, the Brandon Crawford slander, but Brandon Crawford has been playing out of his mind, and he's replaced Glaber Torres' body. I don't know how else to say it. He's been space jammed by uh, Glaber Torres, and Glaber Torres has been become Brandon Crawford. Uh, J.D. Martinez, every year he defies uh, time. He's 17th overall in points doesn't really have um, a stable position in like he doesn't either, he either DHS plays left or plays right field. Um, but he's been, whenever he's in the lineup, he's been absolutely amazing for him. And then pitching like freaking Adam Wainwright has been probably the best trade acquisition. Who would have thought Adam Wainwright, who he acquired as sort of a secondary um, piece thrown in by Nick and Wainwright has been unbelievable for him and he's been unbelievable all year i mean looking at his numbers he's just been i don't understand how it's happening uh but also look at other pieces like de Scalfani, he got chris Hale back who's been just getting his legs under him but has been pitched well every time out there um i think perry is the team to beat in the playoffs and like for me i ranked him three i believe uh you could have justified making him number one yeah i'm trying to look to see where i had him uh now i think i had him as, as four but i i think i because i put alicia as three i think i think highly more highly of her team than a lot of other people um but just to go over I, i'll go back to karen for a minute you you pointed out a bunch of things already i'll point out one sneaky thing here uh one picture that she has that no one really talks about uh this is as the best picture on her team over the last month as far as average is uh shane mcclanahan 5.87 points uh, average over the last 30 days and if you look at the game log I actually have him on my AL only team and he's been fantastic man like he strikes out a ton he's starting to go a little deeper in games and it's also about the Rays like letting these guys you know go a little further and I feel like they're doing that a little more lately with some of the younger guys so I mean if she can get that going into the playoffs it, that's an added bonus because we all all know about Wheeler and some of the other guys she has on that staff um like you said, she's going to need Darvish to be the you Darvish we think of. And Ryu as well. She needs both of those guys if she's going to make a deep playoff run. But this is the first time. I, honestly, this is the first time I'm looking at her team, and I actually think that she has a legitimate shot at repeating as champion. I think all year, whenever I looked at her team, I've kind of been like, yeah, it's good. But I, I can't see that team winning. When I look at it now and the way some of these guys are playing and the way things are kind of coming together for her, you know, getting Buxton back now. I know, you know, he just got back and he's, we'll see if he stays on the fields. But um, this is the first time I'm looking at her team thinking like, yeah, she could, she could definitely win it again. Um, as far as Perrier's team, uh, you said it, same thing as we said five weeks ago. A lot of different ways this team can win. He's super, super locked in as far as, you know, paying attention to every detail. Um, I'm trying to just see, like, if there's an X factor on this team. 
I might go with, with a young pitcher on his team, just like Karen's, and that's Alec Manoa. Like, if they can kind of let him do his thing, I don't know if they have any plans to limit his innings at all. I, I think part of it will depend if they stay in the chase. If they fall out of it, I could see them kind of being careful with him. But, uh, I mean, last few starts, six and two-thirds, then a little a bad one in there with three innings, six, six and a third. So they're letting him go, quality starts. He even has a few seven-inning starts um, throughout the year. So I would point to him as an X factor. And then Kershaw as well, if he can get him back as an added bonus at some point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if we go BPI with the, these two teams, uh, there's a lot of different ways you could go as far as picking three guys. Um, for Karen, I'll give you these three first, and you can tell me who you think fits where. Uh, Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler, and Byron Buxton, if you went with the Beast Pedestrian IL. Um, I would say she would need she, – she can live without Buxton. I would say that he'd be a guy you could just kind of write off because he has not been – you know, he hasn't been on the field all year, and she's been winning. I would say the Beast you probably would need is Wheeler because Wheeler has been sort of her consistency out there when no one else is doing their thing. Wheeler goes out there and has, you know, throws up a seven spot of points and really saves sort of your week. Um, and then who was the other pitcher Darvish you were talking about? No, I put a Bryce Harper in there. Oh, Harper. Yeah. Harper could just do his thing. He's been having a pretty good year. Um, it's been blurred by a lot of uh, the Philly struggles on the field. They've obviously kicked it up a notch and have surpassed the Mets since, uh, middle of the year, but, and he's top 40 in points. You would expect more from him as far as how, I guess he's hyped in the media, uh, but Harper has been great. And, you know, I think if you get the average of Harper where he gets, you know, maybe 12 points a week, you could live with that. And that's about what he's averaging. So I would say that she would really need Wheeler to kick it up into third gear and go out there and have one of those days like he had against the Mets, that complete game shutout where he struck out 11 and only walked one. You need that from him. Um, because he, he, he's sorry, great. go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just he, saying he, he's a guy that you really need to rely on. He's almost in this territory now of like if he goes like less than seven, you're kind of disappointed. Like he's almost just expected every time to go out there and pitch into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, like because he, he's been doing it all year. So I agree with that. The whole Buxton Bryce thing, I know I, I agree with being able to live without Buxton because he's basically been gone for a long time and her team's been thriving lately. But I think we can't forget it how good he was when he was healthy, healthy earlier in the season. And yeah, he did carry her team for a little bit. So if, if she can get that guy back, um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, goddamn. Um, and for Perrier, as far as the BPI, um, the players I chose to uh, go with here, as far as who to choose from, Jose Ramirez, Brandon Woodruff, and Chris Sale. If you had those three guys, where would you put them? I would say Woodruff needs to be the beast. I think I was going to mention before he finally had an outing that he looked like the real Woodruff where he struck out 10, went six, got the win, didn't walk anybody. He finally looked like the Woodruff that we're used to in the beginning of the year. Before that, it was sort of touch and go for a bit where he was giving up runs, uh, not going deep in games, did not, it wasn't striking out a lot of guys. I mean, the last time he struck out 10 guys was, I mean, in June. So he's finally back in a, in a spot where like you can rely on him. And if he is a beast and the guy that Travis had in the beginning of the year, I think that uh, it will really help stabilize his rotation. Um, and then the other guy, Chris sale, as far, I would say 
Chris Sale, I don't even think you're going to be expecting that much from him. He's been going out there and getting wins, um, but he's like, he's getting better every time out. He hasn't gotten a quality start yet. They're not letting him go. They let him pitch into the sixth uh, the last time out against the Twins. But other than that, I think they're going to have him on a tight leash a little bit. And it also depends on where the Red Sox go for the rest of the year. Um, they're they're in the, the wild card race, so they're looking to play meaningful games, but they're certainly not willing to risk Chris Sale for the future because he is um, he is a valuable entity on their team because they don't want to risk his his future because um, in, in the short term. So you got to watch out for that. I think they're going to play it safe with him and they'll let him pitch a little bit more each time. But I don't think they're ever going to really press the gas on him this year because he's just getting his legs under him. And then as far as the consistency goes, um, who's the other guy? Oh, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez. Um, yeah. If you get if you get the same from Jose Ramirez, you've been getting all year, just nothing out of the norm. I mean, right now he's top five in uh, points and think about how far away we are from when Karen drafted him number one overall. And he was, he was abysmal. I think he was dropped. So we forget how bad Jose Ramirez was just like three years ago or two years ago at this point. Um, So he's been great. And if you just get the the same level of play you've been getting from Ramirez, Ramirez all year, um, I think you're in really good shape, but if you get beastly performances from Woodruff, something out of the norm and let him just get out there and throw double digit strikeouts, get wins and get quality starts and the rest of your pitchers kind of do their thing. I think he'll be in really, really good shape. Yeah, I can see that. I think you make good points about Woodruff needing to be the guy who was earlier in the year has been a little more, as you said, inconsistent recently. Um, all right. So we move to number two. We shall. All right. So uh, number two, uh, this person came in with 24 total points, average rank of 2.66. Highest rank was two and the lowest rank uh, was five. He's moved up three spots since week 15 and many spots from the beginning of the season where he felt disrespected at number nine. Um, and that is Bazada. So Bazada coming in in the two spot. He looks to be winning the division, which would give him a bye, which at that point, you only need two wins in a row to win the title and carry that belt. As I know you've said, he has said that he wants to carry that belt uh, into his uh, wedding reception. And it's looking more and more realistic as we see what he might be dealing with in the playoffs, if he can get that bye. Um, obviously, the trade deadline, I think, changed everything for him. Uh, he made that fourth of july declaration of i'm not trade i'm not selling in fact i'm buying i have all these great prospects and people bit people i mean nick traded uh walker bueller obviously for ali rushman that's a trade that everyone will remember for a long time i'm sure uh, a little bit controversial um if he can get max freed to do what he's done a little bit of recently uh, obviously he had that complete game I think it was a complete game shutout. Yeah, complete game shutout. Followed yeah, same Friday. Punk, up with... punk on Rampage. It was the same day. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, and he, he followed it up this week with six solid innings against a really good San Francisco team. So it's not like he just uh, – it's not like it was just a one-time thing. He's been pitching really, really well for a while now if you look at his game log. Um, it was quietly until the uh, complete game shutout. If Jose Before we move on from Freed, like, be... I don't want to yeah. move too far from Freed quick, ahead. but he – uh, he got a lot of grief because he kind of reached for Freed. I think he drafted him in the third round or second round, like something pretty crazy. We all looked at each other like, what are you doing? And 
I think he's sort of been proven right that he made the right decision. I would say he's been everything and more you could have asked for. I'm going to his team right now quick to just be correct. Max Free was in the third round. So do you think that you still look at it with like wide eyes and say he made the wrong choice? Or do you think Freed is sort of justified with what he's done in like really the most pivotal moments of the season? I mean, that's when it counts the most is, is, you know, if you're in the playoff picture, you want the guys that you took, you know, high in the draft to start, you know, delivering and coming through for you. So no, I don't think we can really say now that that was a, you know, a reach or anything like that. I'm looking at his season average. I mean, his season average in points, he's at 4.6 points per start, uh, which is solid. And over the last 30 days, obviously it's going to be a little skewed where you have uh, the complete game shutout, but 8.54, like it's, he's hitting his stride. And if you can carry that into, you know, the next few weeks over the playoffs, he's got a great shot. 100%. Yeah, so you were saying about Barrios as well. He pitched really well today. Uh, yeah, um, unbelievable. And uh, he is he's another one of those Jekyll and Hyde guys. He, you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, but, I mean, the pitching staff looks really tough right now. Like that – Carlos Radon's back, and Kyle Gibson quietly does his thing every time. Ian Anderson's back. John Means is back. Freed's pitching great. Uh, obviously, Barrios, we just mentioned, Walker Bueller is Walker Bueller. Might be the Cy Young Award winner. A big X factor on that pitching staff is Kevin Gossman. He has not been the Kevin Gossman he thought he was getting. Um, don't get me wrong. He hasn't been terrible. But he was – at one point when DeGrom was still healthy, everyone was saying if it wasn't for Jacob DeGrom, Kevin Gossman would be a shoe-in for Cy Young. He hasn't been close to that the second half of the season. Um, so I think if he can get a little more out of him, it, he might be the favorite to, to win this thing because that pitching staff is already strong even without Gossman. Um, and then I think the other thing on the offense, it, Mookie Betts is over two today. Like, if, if he's can be back as a permanent fixture and be the Mookie Betts we know, then I think you can – it's not even an if. I would say if, if Betts is back, Bazada will be the favorite to win it all. I just think there's too much at that point uh, that he would need to go wrong for him not to win. But – we don't know if Mookie Betts is going to be that guy or if he's going to be in the lineup every day, if he's going to stay healthy. He's had so many problems this year. Even when he's been healthy, he hasn't been uh, the Mookie Betts that we've known for so long now. So um, It's weird because we're used to seeing Mookie play 100, 155 games a year. It just hasn't been that kind of year for him. Yeah. So. Just, you know, a lot of things have gone wrong for him as far as his body kind of betraying him a little bit. And he has a tough choice to make next year. Not that we're looking forward to keepers for these playoff teams, but uh, he has a tough choice to make next year. Are you going to really rely on Mookie next year? Or are you going to toss him back into the, the, into the draft and see, maybe try your luck with another offensive player like Xander Bogarts? Um, or, yeah, Xander Bogarts would probably be the only other guy you think about keeping because everybody else has sort of just been piecemeal put together but having career years. Like even like a Yuli Gurriel, Robbie Grossman, Joey Votto has a renaissance of a year this year. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Nolan Arenado is like someone that he acquired in that Gossman trade who hasn't been his best self, but has been pitch, has been playing really well as far as um, the upgrade that he had from third base. So um, I think right now it's sort of like, you don't really know offensively who he keep, but like Mookie is someone that uh, would be a pencil in any other year. You just put him in there, but I think you have more question marks than usual this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could consider Matt Olson. Olson's had an, 
a great year. I just heard earlier when he was, I was watching the ESPN broadcast, apparently he's cut his strikeout percentage like in half. Wow. Olsen, was, I didn't was, realize Olsen was ranked nine overall. That's crazy. He's been unreal. I think he said he, this off season, like he was fed up with striking out so much. I want to say his strikeout percentage was like 28% or something like that. He's cut it down to, I don't know, like 16 or 15. It's apparently like the biggest percentage drop in history since they, you know, since they started tracking that or whatever. But, um, I know, again, we mentioned it with Freeman before, like, so good, but do I want to keep a first baseman when there's so many of them? But honestly, I mean, the answer might be, yeah, I mean, if he's that good, if it's like a Freddie Freeman or what Matt Olson has done this year, and, and you don't really have other options other than a star like Mookie Betts, who now is showing some wear and tear, I think he's going to at least give him some consideration. I don't know where he was drafted, but uh, he's been unreal. So with Bizzotta clinching the playoffs this year, this is the first time he's been in the playoffs, believe it or not, since 2018. seems like he's always in the playoffs. Um, he won the championship in 2016. He won the points championship in 2018. Um, if he did indeed clinch the division, this is his third division title in history. So he won 2016, 2018. And I believe he did clinch the division because of just the way the, the tiebreakers work out. But I won't crown him yet. I'll wait till it's official. But believe it or not, like the, the – the drought is over and I didn't even think there was even a drought. He right now has the most wins in league history. Uh, he has 105. So 105 wins. And then the second best would be me at 102. So everybody else hasn't even hit hundred yet. So he's been uh, a really consistently good team uh, padded by two really good years. Like he went seven, 17 and four one year. And this year he's 12 and eight. So a sneaky good year for him. Um, what started off as a, um, he felt disrespected and it seems like that motivated him, lit a fire under him and that team that he put together took a little while to gel, but he's, uh, really gelling at the right time and finding a way to, uh, win matchups. He didn't score the most points this week. And if you want to like, I guess, poke holes in any of the things he did this week, he would have lost to a lot of teams. Um, any other playoff teams he would have lost to, but these are the matchups you have to win because you have to win the weeks that you're kind of having a down week because the average of that, what he's going to put up is usually going to trump uh, the, the, the downs because he's usually going to score 120 points or so. Um, and that's usually going to be good enough to win. You know that you want the bigger weeks to happen in the playoffs when you really need them. Um, so let's move on to number one. Let's unveil it. I don't think there's a, a huge mystery to this. Um, so this person had nine total points. So that means that every single person aside from this person ranked him number one. Average rank was one, highest rank was one, lowest rank was one. He moved up one in the rankings, and this is Travis, who clinched the division last week. Uh, he's, he put on a clinic this week. This is one of those weeks that I talked about earlier in the podcast. He It was a statement week. I really have nothing else to say as far as, but, you know, I sort of, I, I sort of yield to the greatness right now of Travis. You're 14 and six. You won the division. You're going to the playoffs hot. You have a bye. Now it's time to sort of put your money uh, where your mouth is and go and win a championship because you are one of those, those franchises that has been snake bitten in, in the, in the past. And if you want to talk big picture in history, um, you're one of the teams that make the playoffs, but have no other, no other credentials aside from winning the division. This is your second division title, no point titles, no, no pennants, no championships. This is the year to get it done. I would say this is the best year you ever had in franchise history. Aside from early on, I think he went 17 and five in 2013. But talk about the new era of the league that exists now. This is your best team, your most well constructed team. 
he's overcome a lot of hurdles of maybe a bad decision to trade uh, Brandon Woodruff and for Mike Trout, but he, he righted the ship and went all in this year instead of just being farsighted um, for the future. He was able to be like, you know what, this is the year I go all in. This is what you play for. This is what we're trying to do. And I think he's all in this year to make it happen. Um, big X factor for me, for him is going to be Garrett Cole. He's going to need him to go out there in the playoffs and do his thing. And the Yankees, luckily for him, are going to be playing meaningful games right down the stretch. I think he's going to get the best version of Cole throughout the rest of the regular season, as far as our season goes. So I think he's going to get Cole in meaningful games and the Yankees are going to be throwing them out there um, with all intention to never rest them because they're going to need him to pitch in big games. Uh, offensively, I think there's been a lot of bright spots for him, but I think the biggest thing you can point to is acquiring Correa who really solidified the middle of his offense because he didn't have that big bopper there. You know, Correa is 23rd overall in points. He didn't have someone like that there. So getting him at the trade deadline really fixed his offense in a lot of ways. We always criticized what it looked like. He had a lot. I think he had kind of fluff in there for a bit and it just looked ugly. So, but Correa really makes it look better and stabilizes the offense in, you know, weeks where he's not getting a lot of production and also Joey Gallo going to the Yankees uh, sort of fixed uh, the Joey Gallo issue in Texas because being surrounded by more talent and playing at Yankee stadium has definitely helped Gallo's numbers. And then don't look now, Aaron judge is having uh, one of those seasons again, that that, um, make you realize that maybe the Yankees need to re-sign him long-term. He's going to finish with over 30 home runs, close to hundred RBIs batting almost 332 overall points. And judge has proven this year that he could stay on the field, which has been something that we couldn't say for a while. He's played almost every day since, um, that weird blip in June where they were sitting him and then resting him and being unclear what the issue was. Uh, Judge has proven he could stay on the field. And when he's on the field, I mean, it's no coincidence that Yankees are winning and Travis is winning. So um, not to mention he overcome, he overcame the Ozuna thing this year too. Like Ozuna was a big piece he was relying on and Ozuna's just been gone all year. So a big, big, big year for Travis. Then I have nothing but good things to say about him. I think his team is trending upward. And I think really I want to repeat it again. The Correa thing fixed his team in a lot of ways. I agree with you. I, I loved what he did at the trade deadline. Um, and it's funny how things work out, man. Like we, whenever there's a trade made, we all make our, you know, gut reactions. Like I'm famous for it in the chat. And I, a lot of times I don't like a trade and I'll make it known. In fact, I was silent on one and you asked me like, you got nothing to say. So I guess usually I make it known uh, what I think. But when I look back at that trout trade, the Woodruff and trout trade, right? It's amazing what that has actually resulted in. Because after a couple of weeks of that, when it kind of became more clear how long-term trout's injury was going to be, Travis started getting a lot of shit. Like, oh, he pulled the trigger too quick. He gave Brandon Woodruff, who is now, you know, just like going, you know, he's going crazy at the time. He's, he's really good. When you can look at that now, what that resulted in, Cedric Mullins is still playing out of his mind and he could be one of those kind of unsung heroes and trout ended up resulting in Correa and Lance Lynn. So it's almost as if Brandon Woodruff was sent away. And in the end, he ended up with Cedric Mullins, an all-star and he's been an all-star all year, not just a flash in the pan, Lance Lynn and Carlos Correa. So now the opinion of that trade 
completely changes. Whether he could have seen that coming or not, like it, it completely changes. And just imagine it's like Travis against Perrier in the finals and Cedric Mullins ends up being the difference. Like he hits a couple home runs that week and Travis wins the title. Like it could, it could happen. And sometimes the way these things work out, that's what ends up happening. Some piece that was a throw in that no one thought anything of ends up being big. I mean, that could be Logan Webb for you. Say you and Jimmy meet in the playoffs. Like Logan Webb has a big start. He was a kind of a throw in in that deal with Jimmy and it ends up winning you a, uh, a matchup against the guy you got him from. Like we might see something like that happen. There's been so many trades this year that we could easily see something like that. Um, if I go to, you know what? I just realized we forgot the BPI for Bizada. So we'll do both quickly here. Uh, very quickly go back to Bizada as far as beast pedestrian or who could go to the IL. I put a uh, Mookie Walker Bueller and Freed. If you had to pick from those three guys. I would say, um, <laughs> Get your consistency from Bueller, the same sort of performance from him, what he's been doing. I think if you get freed out of his mind where you get the best version of him and then put Mookie sort of out to pasture right now, I think he has been a non-factor for Bizada's team. Even when he's been on the field, he hasn't been his best self. So it's nice to have him on the field for name brand, but his offense is picking up the pieces. Look at what Adoles Garcia did this week, um, even just today. Got him the win with that grand slam and figured out a way to get the win without Mookie. So. I would say Mookie's someone you don't really have to rely on. I think you need more from the pitching to get past other teams in the playoffs. Right. Okay. And then Trav, I had um, Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, and Lance Lynn as far as – I mean, oh, that's – I got to say, that might be the toughest one as far as picking one of those guys to be expendable. Um, I would say looking at that, I would get pedestrian from Cole because you know what you're kind of getting from him and then you're going to get – quality starts and potentially double digit strikeouts uh lynn or judge as far as who's more valuable as far as beast i think the big difference maker could be lynn as far as um if you get if you get beastly performance from him like some crazy outing from him he hasn't been great lately so if you get something crazily good from him uh lynn could be a bigger difference maker than judge uh judge had almost 20 points this week so that's saying a lot but i would say maybe your offense can pick up the slack for judge if he's not doing anything. So you need more from the pitching. I think that's my reasoning. Yeah, I can see that as well. That, that, that might, like I said, that might be the toughest one. I feel like in reality where we don't have to put one on the IL, he needs those three guys big time. But again, Travis is in that nice spot where he only has to win two matchups in a row a couple weeks from now. Um, and it, it could be, we could have, I mean, if we look at it, let's see, what are the chances that we have a first time winner? You got Travis, Jimmy, and that would be it, right? Those are the only two possible. Yeah, because Zada's one, Perrier's one, Alicia's one. Well, if I get in the playoffs, if you I'm make it. One. Yeah. True, true. Yep. Which I don't think I'm making it. I mean, it's going to take some miracle to get, to get me in there. I'm looking at Travis's schedule, just curious how many times he's won two weeks in a row. Uh, week one and two, he won two in a row. Week four, five, six, seven in a row. He's won 10 and 11 in a row, 14 and 15 in a row. Um, and that was the last time he won double digit in a row. So he has the history that can back him up that he's won two straight matchups, and that's all he needs to do come playoff time. So uh, it's right there for, the, for him to grab. But it's hard to do, as we've noticed. It's hard to win a championship here. I just want to give Travis uh, Travis credit for um, 
really managing tough waters. He could have really sort of let the wheels fall off. And he had a lot of tough decisions to make when he made that trade for Trout. I know I've been sitting here giving him shit for it and maybe justifiably so, but he really fixed that trade like you talked about and turned it into making his team better than it was in the first place. So even looking at Woodruff's, Woodruff's production the last couple of weeks, he finally turned it around this week. But before that, it almost looked like Woodruff was a non-factor. So the fact that he was able to turn it into an elite offensive uh, producer, Cedric Mullins, who has been elite, doesn't have the name brand on him, but he has been elite, no doubt about it. And then Lance Lynn, who is just as good, if not better at times than Brandon Woodruff could be. So I think Travis is in much better shape now that he made those deals. And he exercised patience. He didn't really panic at all. He didn't make any sort of reactionary moves uh, to keep pace with anybody. I know that a lot of people were making moves and throwing prospects around. He easily could have been like throwing Julio Rodriguez around or finding other young players to get rid of, but he didn't do it. And I think he'll be better in the future for it as well because he didn't really panic and just try to keep pace to keep pace. And the interesting thing about him, I mean, if he can finish this off and win the whole thing, it's almost going wire to wire, like at the top, other than Alicia's hot five and zero start. Like other than that, it's been him in the one spot the entire time. So he has a chance to do like to finish one of the, what would be one of the more impressive runs um, that I think we've seen as far as staying at the top almost all year. That's hard to do. You made a good point about that. Like even like I played Roto leagues before where you stay at the top of the standings and you try to get, you know, a big lead ahead of you and want to bury the other teams. That's hard to do too, because there's usually a shift in standings and it's even more hard in the uh, head to head format, because like we talked about, there's going to be weeks that you have bad luck or injuries or just matchup issues where people aren't playing rainouts. The fact that he's going to be sitting here, maybe with 15 wins, at least at the minimum 14 wins. That's pretty impressive, especially that he's been in first place in that division all year. When we watch the other divisions sort of flip-flop with Alicia, uh, Perrier, Bazada, no one has taken the lead from Travis at all and not even got close. Like, it, you know, Karen came in like sniffing distance. Jimmy was there for a second, but, you know, Travis really like, held everybody off without issue. He didn't really have to sweat it at all. And that's what you kind of worry about going into the playoffs is that he hasn't really had a sweat all year. And it's really going to be sweating time when um, on the playoffs hit because he hasn't really had a stressful matchup all year. If you think about it, like he really hasn't stressed in like 20 weeks because he's just been there and he's been winning his matchups and he built a lead enough to hide. Uh, now he's got to come out of hiding and, and really win these matchups when it matters. And, you know, maybe he just goes in there and doesn't break a sweat, but knowing how it's been this year, there's been so much power to any given week, any team can go out there and just destroy you i have confidence that like even if you were in the playoffs you can go out there and make a run and like your team is considered one of the worst teams in the league quote unquote but you can go out there and still make a run and you know that says a lot about our league because you can go out there and make a championship run if they allowed you in the playoffs yeah i think it's crazy i have a feeling and i hope i'm right i mean i wish i was in the playoffs but i have a feeling this is going to be one of the most entertaining set of playoffs we've ever had just the way again all 10 people are so locked in even now like that a few of us have fallen out of it like we're still in it and it's it's the funny thing about the league is because of the because the consolation means something those bottom four teams are still going to be making moves to try to help them 
So it's not like those six playoff teams are going to have the free agents and the streamers to themselves. Like it's not going to work like that more, more than likely. So I feel like we might see some insanely close matchups. Hopefully we do. It's, it's a lot more entertaining like that, especially for someone like me, that's me watching from the outside. I honestly have no idea. Like usually at this point, I'm, I, I could narrow it down to two teams and say, it's going to be one of these two, any of the six or actually seven teams that are remaining I think I have a legitimate shot at it at this point. Yeah. I look at some of these teams and from week to week, you can make it like a knee jerk reaction say like coming off this week, the, I guess the favorite would be Travis and Perrier scoring, you know, 148, 151 points respectively, but any given week, like, you know, Karen can go out one week and score 180 because her offense is that good. And maybe her pitching goes off. I think a big piece of the, the playoffs this year is going to be, uh, making the right decisions on a lot of these teams have benches. So you have to make the right decisions on who to play and who's going to really take the, the risk on streaming somebody when you have all these dangerous streamers out there and it's easy to do it in the regular season and make a choice to be like, all right, whatever. I'm going to pick up uh, Brady singer. Like I did this week, he pitched well, but are you really going to take that risk in the playoffs or would you rather just stick with the guys you have on your roster? Um, I'd be curious to see who does that because it's a bold move to be streaming guys and risk getting negative points in a, such a pivotal matchup. It's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of a mix as far as the teams that are in it. Karen and Alicia are most of the time, very conservative with the, the amount of pickups they do. They like to kind of go with the people they've had most of the year. And then, I mean, the rest of them seem to make more moves, but not, I think, I feel like you and I are the, are the people that usually use all six. Um, Jimmy's been doing a lot more streaming, I think out of necessity with some of the pitching injuries he's had. So, yeah. And like I said, the, the teams in the constellation are, are also going to be going for that number one pick, still trying to make something happen. So. I'm trying to consider what we're going to be doing for the playoff matchups, because I want to do something different for the wrap ups each round for the playoffs. I know that I considered, I'm not sure if you watched the clubhouse show on MLB network where they're watching a game and they're just having a conversation. It's yeah, sort of like a watch along. Yeah, I think we should do something like that, maybe for one of the playoff rounds. I think that'd be cool to do, like where we pick a game that's pretty meaningful, like maybe a Sunday night baseball game or Saturday night or something like that, where we can get multiple people on the podcast, preferably playoff teams, and have a conversation about like real time what's happening in the matchup, and not for the full game, but maybe do for like four innings or something, and just have a conversation to change the format up a bit. I. The one person that hasn't been on here all year is Perrier. I would like to get Greg and Alicia and Bizada on here. Not completely inebriated on beer um, from the 4th of July. I'd like to get him on like for a legitimate one. Um, I would like to get Travis back on. I know he's been on, uh, I think, three times this year. But the idea would be I want to get some of these playoff teams on here to have a platform to have a discussion because as we move closer towards the championship, um, I just want to make this an interesting listen to, like, to make sure that people are still sort of invested. And I know everyone will be, but I want to sort of make it sort of interesting for the teams that are not, I guess, in it, you know, in the championship. I know everyone here is into the league, but I want the podcast to be interesting for everybody to listen to. So come up with like a, an interesting format, I guess, would be my guess of what yeah, I, mean, I think. I think it'd be nice to, to hear like, um, say after the first round, you, you're doing the, um, you know, the wrap up show and then you have like the two managers that played against each other do like a little 10 minute thing with them to go through the matchup instead of just going through yourself. 
and then the other two that played each other. That, that would be an idea for me just to hear from, you know, usually coming off a big win or a big loss, you're going to get some passion and some regret about maybe not making a certain move or putting the wrong guy in or excitement about someone pulling the right, uh, you know, the right move. So that would be interesting to hear from people that just finished up the playoff matchup. Especially with I will definitely try the best to get whoever on for sure. Like if any, like, like I always say, guys, if you guys are into coming on, you're more than welcome. Like Nick popped on here. We're doing the power rankings, which is historically just me and you, Devin. But right. um, at any given time, you know, anyone can come on. I'll let anyone come on at any time. We'll have a conversation. So the door is always open. So if anyone wants to come on, even if you're not in the playoffs, like Nick, you're welcome to come on. And, you know, if Greg, if you want to come on too, like you're more, I know both those guys listen every week. Cause they, they both text me right after they're done listening, which is usually an, like an hour into Monday morning. So like, I know they're listening right away. And you're one of the people that listen as well. So um, just try to get other people involved that usually are not on here. I know it's not for everybody that want, not everybody wants to come on here and have a discussion because they're not, I guess they don't, it's not their skill set or not their priority about how they want to voice their opinions, but it is cool. I want to make it comfortable for everyone to feel like they are welcome on here. But um, just a quick question. I know we're, we're like way over time, but uh, any thoughts on CM Punk and AEW and all that? I know that everyone in the league is pretty much interested in uh, wrestling aside from Karen. So close your ears, Karen. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited. Just like every other you know wrestling fan is um, he. So I, I, as a wrestling fan, like I always kept track of it. I'd say uh, probably after like 2000. I don't know, 2002 or something like that. Maybe even 2001, I became a little more of a casual wrestling fan and I'd still turn it on. I wouldn't watch the whole show. I'd read, I'd read the dirt sheets a little bit to keep up with like what was going on. But like, even like, I want to like when triple H had evolution and all those guys, right. That's I was 03, not Oh, three Oh four. Yeah. Yeah. I was gone by then. So like I've gone back and watched all of that stuff. So like, I know all the stuff I missed. Um, but I, the, what I'm saying is basically when Punk did the, the pipe bomb thing, I think I started watching a little more before that with Nexus and all that stuff. But some interesting things were happening. But he, he got a lot of people back into wrestling that had kind of lost it. So to see him back, I think, is super exciting for that kind of generation of people. Um, my one thing, I think, I think Pizzotta said this in the chat, is it's so weird seeing him so smiley. And I was saying to someone else that I was talking about it is like, I feel like that can't last that long. You can't just be this guy that's happy to be here, like, and pulling back the curtain saying like, I want to wrestle young guys. That's fine right now. Like we all understand that wrestling is not real. Like you could say that, but eventually we are, I think we're going to need to see the CM Punk that has that chip on his shoulder. So I'm interested to see one of the reasons I like AEW is, is very clear that they have long-term plans. I would love to know what their long-term plans for him is. It's not not necessarily opponents, but like his character arc. Like where are they going with him? So I think it's I think it's awesome for wrestling. And it looks like Daniel Bryan will be joining him, which is it's amazing. It's it's as exciting as it's been in a, a long time. Yeah, with the punk thing, he's sort of like Rowdy Roddy Piper at this point, where you don't need the world title, but I think he could make the title very significant in the mainstream while Kenny Omega is the best wrestler in the world pound for pound as far as match quality goes he doesn't have the name quality that maybe someone like CM Punk does 
because even if you look at the the click numbers for ESPN, they were saying that the traffic on ESPN was something that they couldn't even anticipate that CM Punk could bring to their site because they posted an article. So there is a lot of buzz to him. And I know that sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder. He's been gone for seven years at this point and it hasn't been like he came back and then left, came back and left. He legitimately was gone and people didn't know if he was going to ever wrestle again. And the fact that it happened for a rival company an upstar company and not WWE where like, you sort of know what's going to happen in WWE. Like, you know, exactly he's going to fall in line and it's going to be like similar to when Bret Hart came back. I know it was like way well past his prime, but everybody comes back and sort of falls in line and just does like the, the legacy um, routine, like Jericho, you know, when Jericho came back and he was just sort of like the, the millennial guy before he rebranded himself again to like in different ways. So like everyone just like just the legacy act, but punk himself, he doesn't really, allow himself to become stagnant so i'm interested to see exactly what he does is he going to be a heel is he going to be a face sort of like just a deep, like maybe like a stone cold uh hardcore face where like you just you know you're a rule breaker the dream matches are there I, i'm curious i i want to see him interact with pretty much everyone on that roster because he didn't have the chance to think about the rise of all these superstars in the last i mean the young bucks were not a thing i mean they were wrestling but they weren't huge stars Kenny Omega was in Japan as a, as one of the, the young guys wrestling in Japan. I mean, look at this whole roster now, like even guys like John Moxley, like he wrestled Dean Ambrose on, you know, as members of the shield where, where Dean Ambrose was a completely different character. Um, I'm just curious where they go from here. Only thing I'm worried about is like, there's a plethora of talent at this point and they have to be able to use that talent because there's only certain amount, there's only three hours of TV time and there's going to be four pay-per-views a year. So how can you build meaningful programs for all these guys? Like you're bringing in Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, however you want to say his name, CM Punk. And then even like say Bray Wyatt, you got Aleister Black or Malachi Black, who's there as well. Not to mention all the talents that's there already. Like what's going on with Jungle Boy. And I, there's a lot of guys and you have to be very creative and figuring out ways to get them all to tie this back to fantasy baseball, get them all in your lineup because you're going to leave a lot of points on your bench. And yeah. It's, it's a it's a matter of making sure that you're using them right and making Punk – I think Punk immediately, like you don't want to just throw the title on somebody, but it's almost like he has to be right in the main event picture challenging for the title. I know some disagree with that, but I'm, I'm a big believer in that he could really legitimize the title and make it like mainstream. Jericho did it, but I think Punk could even take it a step further. You see, I actually don't think he's going to be in the title picture right away, and, and this is why. Like, I think as far as space heel – I think he has to be a face when he's chasing the, the, the title, which will happen first. And then once he has the title, I could see him becoming heel afterwards or, or while he has it for a while. But I still think after this whole Kenny Omega Christian thing, I still think Adam Page is, is the next champion. Like, I think he's. I agree they, with that 100%. That story is that story's unwritten. It's, right, it's ready to go. teased it and it's a long term story after they were, you know were in the elite together, then they won the tag team titles. Like, I think that is next still. And I, I don't know if I see CM Punk feuding with a very face uh, Adam Page. Like, I don't think I see that. So I could see Punk kind of doing these other things for a little while and then eventually ending up in that title picture somehow. But that's what I'm excited to see. Like, I really don't know. They could go a lot of different ways, and I'm not exactly sure how they're they totally do need another championship they need that six-man championship and i heard a, a cool theory that they may have 
uh, Brian Danielson come in and possibly just be thrown in that TNT title picture, like maybe make him be the one that beats Miro. And like that also would help that title a lot too, because although I like Miro as champion, they're booking him right finally. I just think that title sort of gets lost. Like right now it's just used as a TV title where you have a dominant heel or face, doesn't matter, beating young talent on the roster every every week. So is there ever really a chance for like, do you ever think Miro is going to lose the title? Like when he's facing like Dante Martin or any of these young talent, like it never is like in doubt. And I think it'd be cool to have that title really be in doubt, like an intercontinental title sort of, I think it's being booked like a TV title where it's never going to change hands until, you know, that feud has been built up like a Darby and Cody and when Brody and Cody were feuding. But I think it needs to be in doubt almost every week, sort of like when like Cena was doing the U S title open challenge i think there needs to be challengers for that title to make it legitimate i think brian danielson getting that title from the beginning would be really cool so it'd be interesting for sure i i I just think there's so much talent and i'm unsure what wwe's plans are like what is the actual what's the idea behind releasing all this talent and allowing tony khan to sort of build up his roster because they've built up a roster that usually would take 10, 20 years to build up the talent that they have there. And they've done it in three because of the fact WWE's like put it on a silver platter for them. Money's no issue for the con family. So unless they're trying to like bleed them dry by like paying too much talent, yeah, I still I mean, know my, the strategy. My hope is that, cause I, I don't know the actual financials. My, my hope is that they don't screw themselves like WCW did. I know they're not as stupid and, you know, just, they're, those guys were signing blank checks, basically. But I, I do worry a little bit about that. Like, kind of, uh, I don't know. I, it's about it's over my head. But um, like you said, just like getting all these guys TV time is hard. Obviously, they have more shows now. Um, and WWE like was like that for a while, where they were just signing everyone and guys that were like main event level type guys could barely get in the U.S. title picture. And now they're going the other way, where they're they have almost nobody on the roster. So yeah, yeah I, well, I SmackDown is SmackDown still has a talented roster, but like you look at the raw roster, and I don't watch terrible. raw consistently. It's terrible. Like I, and like, Oh, you think matching the punk thing by bringing Lesnar back? Like that doesn't, it, it may move the needle like in the short term, but long term, everybody has like Brock Lesnar's number. He's a mercenary who hates wrestling while as punk is sort of like the every man's champion. Like he's the guy we've been waiting for. And Lesnar, we've seen this routine before. We've seen Reigns and Lesnar. And, like, it's an exciting match. And the the, the stuff with Paul Heyman adds a, di- a new level of intrigue. But the punk thing, you can't match that. So why even try? Right. Well, you knew they were going to respond somehow. But um, my my biggest hope is that punk, and I know I've read some reports that said uh, people that worked with him on the show Heels said he can still go and all that stuff. I, I hope he still looks good in the ring. Like, he was never like a showman in there. Like he's not doing flips and shit. So he should be fine. But like, I think the worst case scenario is he goes out there with someone like Darby and has like a botch fest, which I think they're putting him with Darby to, to avoid that. Cause he's a smaller guy. So like, as far as yeah, Darby's going to bump all over the ring for him, I think Darby's exactly. the perfect opponent right now for him. Exactly. Like, I don't know how they're going to do the face face thing. Like what's going to happen towards the end of that match. But like, um, or if it's just going to be a welcome back and you don't really need anything else. It very well could do that, but I'm the one thing I want them to avoid is something where you know the haters can all be like, "Oh my god, like this is the guy you're waiting for all these." 
Yeah, I think Darby's the perfect opponent. Like, I hope that doesn't happen. Darby's the perfect opponent I, I because I think it's very win win loss. Like, it doesn't even matter for Darby. He's sort of like the anti-hero that even if he loses, he's going to bounce back next week. And like, he's the per to me, he's like probably the greatest star that AEW sort of has built themselves, in my opinion. They built him yeah. from the ground up. He was a, a relative unknown aside from like the hardcores on the indies. Um, but they've made him a real star. And like, even if you look at the numbers and ratings in the main event segments where he's in the main event, I think when he wrestled Moxley for the title and he wrestled Jericho for the title and then defending the TNT title, his segments are ranked pretty high and his merch is moving in a, a high rate. So he, like the, a lot of the heat that AEW gets is that they're just signing old WWE guys, which is entirely not true. They're rebuilding their, like their, their core roster is pretty much homegrown. I mean, everyone's going to build around certain stars. Like you have to have other stars, but you look at like their top to top to bottom car, look at the all out card. Most of those guys are not former WWE guys. They're not. So I think they get, I think they get shit for it. I think they get shit for it because like when they were starting uh, a lot of them, including Jericho straight up said, like, we're not going to be like WCW and just sign all these cast offs, but you know what? I don't think they had any clue the caliber of guys that were going to be let go. Like, how could you predict right. Rusev or, I mean, that, Punk and Daniel Bryan, those guys, that's a whole different level. And Bray Wyatt, if he comes. But even guys like, like you Rusev know, and, Lee, and my, my Luke, Luke Harper, yeah. Like, yeah, Alex, it, it's, yeah. Uh, you, they didn't know that when they said things like that. Like, of course you're going to sign those guys if you have the chance. So... It's stupid. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of people they're looking for reasons to hate AEW and they don't want. Uh, to me, like I don't think they're anywhere near a uh, WCW as far as like being sort of marks for themselves, where they're just like getting guys to get guys. You look at the old WWF roster, like WrestleMania one and two. Every one of those guys were, was from a different territory that Vince stole from. So it's like this is what this is as old as wrestling gets. Like it, you just you sign guys from different territories and make them your own. So eventually some of these guys will become AEW known guys and they're going to be known for their time in AEW. So Jericho will always be known for his time elsewhere, but Jericho also was never a WWE original. He was a guy from ECW, from Mexico, from Japan, from WCW. So, you know, you can hate on it all you want, not saying you, but anybody can hate on it all you want and say that they're not uh, building their own stars, but they are. And the one thing I do love, and I'll leave it on this because we can talk all day about this. Um, I like that they're not doing shady finishes. There's only been one false finish in all the history of Dynamite and all of AEW. Um, it's just they're they're giving you a finish to a story, and that's what I like about it. There's no DQs. There's no uh, run-ins as far as, like, ending the match. Like, yeah, there's a lot of shady shit that happens on Dynamite with, like, people running in during the match or after the match, but you have a finish to a feud and they're not fearful of like having a guy lose and just dealing with the repercussions of that. Like they had Moxley lose. They had MJF lose to Moxley. Like they had Jericho lose MJF. Like they just deal with it. Like WWE, they don't give you a straight finish. And there's always a DQ. Like look at the Lesnar and I mean the Goldberg and the Lashley finish from SummerSlam. Like that's not a finish to me. You should have had Lashley right. tap him out or pin him. You know, yeah, like, I do. I, I you, do. This enjoy is what you advertise. Like, yeah, I, I like that they they finish matches for sure. That's why I give them a little shit for the the whole QT Marshall uh, 
whatever that match was, when Big Show stood up, distracted him, and then he got rolled up. That felt very WWE to me. Like, oh, my 100%. opponent next week is standing, and I have to now. I don't even remember him in a match. Like, I don't right. know if Big Show produced that match or some shit, but that had WWE all over it. I oh, hated yeah. it. But like you said, it's like don't change the match just don't how about we just don't do big show versus cutesy marshall i, right, yeah, exactly. I can agree with that but no overall they've been great just finishing matches and, and doing legit finishes i just think people like the extreme is the AEW fans that don't they refuse to take any criticism and like i know that you've been critical of the product in a lot of ways on in the chat and like you kind of like there is stuff to be critical on the women's division is one thing um, some of the mid card stuff that happens is like questionable. Like they've done some stuff on TV. That's questionable. Go back to the original dynamite with the dark order bullshit, where they were like trying to like the whole, like the guy that was kicking somebody that you could see clearly on TV. He wasn't. And then you have that wedding. Then you have oh the sunny God, kiss yeah, stuff with Joey Janela. So like all that's, they've done stuff that like makes you scratch your head. So it's not like they're perfect, but um, I like it that it's an option and it's, it's going to test the limits of WWE and make them try harder. I'll always be a fan of professional wrestling and I like, I'll watch both. You know what I mean? Just give me a reason to do it. Like WWE, they give me no reason to watch them. Right yeah, now. Sure. Like, I keep up on it, but like SummerSlam, like I'm usually stoked for SummerSlam. I watch that on delay, which is disappointing. Like I usually prioritize SummerSlam as like something, a big event of the summer and nothing really happened. Yeah. Like Becky came back and Lesnar came back, but you know, aside from watching Rollins and edge and then the the reigns and Cena match, like I could have passed on it. Nothing else happened. Right, I didn't think it but, was great. I mean, the Rollins Edge match was really good, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. SmackDown you, is a decent product right now, but uh, Raw is is we've said it a few times in chat. It's very close to unwatchable. Uh, it's it's really bad. Hundred <laughs> percent. Did you hear the thing that AEW was supposed to bring Gangrel in for a match with like for a segment with Christian? Yes. And they decided not to because of the edge thing with the brood. They didn't want to be like too closely related. So they just like pulled the trigger. Poor Gangrel. Yeah. He, probably, some, he was like someone, on a flight ready to come. That does suck for him. But someone was saying like, there's like a mole in uh, AEW, like telling so, someone's theory was that like WWE had, had definitely didn't have that planned until they found out that AEW was going to use like a brood entrance or something like that. And they did it. They tried to beat him to the punch. Which, who knows? I could see them playing dirty like that, but. I don't know. It could have just oh, been yeah. coincidence. I think so. Yeah, but uh, I think that wraps it up here, man. I really appreciate your time. I, think, I don't even know how long we've gone at this point, but like um, seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> so just you and I, just you and I listening at this point. So I'm not yeah. even going to go over like the weekly wrap up as far as like matchups go. I'm just going to record a um, an intro and then record an outro and then we'll call it a day. Um, but dude, I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, you're more than welcome to come on any of the playoff wrap-ups if you want to hop on at any given time but i appreciate the time that you've given me all year and then hopefully in the off season we come up with some podcast ideas where you can just go on here and rant about baseball yeah for sure good luck next week hopefully you can uh squeak in there we'll see what happens i mean you can, all you're asking for is a chance and i guess i have one so <laughs> all right thanks Devin. i appreciate it all right no problem then Thank you so much for uh, joining me and listening to the commission wrap-up show. I know it was a long one. Thank you especially to Devin who joined me for that long episode and having all those notes prepared and some questions and segments prepared. 
Uh, and also thank you to Nick for joining me as well. Keep in mind, if anyone wants to come on here and have a discussion at any given time, you're more than welcome to. So as I mentioned in the podcast, the playoffs uh, wrap-ups will look a little bit different. I will be trying to get the actual managers in the playoffs on here to discuss their matchups, but if that's not possible, I will break them down myself. So we're going to fill the void with a little bit um, different format. So maybe we'll do the watch-along at some point during the playoffs to watch a big game. Um, we're going to switch it up, and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy what we have in store for the playoffs. But we're coming down to the wire. We're going to see who's going to be crowned champion, and you know, you know, this is what you wait for. And this season has been so exciting, and it has gone faster than any season in the history of this league for sure. This hasn't dragged at all. Usually I'm looking forward to football season a little bit. This year it seems like it's on the back burner completely. So I'm really excited to see what the playoffs have in store. I know the matchups are going to be just as good as um, every week that has happened so far this year. So I'm very excited to see what happens. Um, the playoff teams are pretty much set, like I mentioned before uh, in the intro. Except for Alicia and myself, we're going to be fighting it out. And if winning, she's in. If she loses and I beat Perry, then I'm in. If I lose, she's in. That seems like the format because the tiebreaker is points and I have her beat there, barring some weird scenario where she um, scores a boatload of points and surpasses me. But I don't think that's happening. So simple as fact, I need to win and have her lose. She needs to win and she gets in. If she loses um, and I still lose, she gets in. So... A lot that can happen. It looks like Bizzotta clinched the division will have a bye, while Travis will have a bye. So some of these matchups are going to be very, very, very interesting. So a lot to look forward to as we move further and further um, to crowning a champion. So I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you enjoyed the Commission Wrap-Up Show, and I'll be back next week with Week 21 Wrap-Up.